Welcome to Game Face episode 105 right here on Sifted Games. Matt, it has been an insane week. Yeah, uh, more for you than yes. me, because uh, I was only here for like three hours. Yeah. Out of was... 24. <laughs> oh man, so uh, I, I've mentioned this on the site a couple times, but uh, so I got back to my place at like 9.30, 10 a.m. Yeah, I woke up in the morning to see the end of it and you were already, you already tapped out. Yep. The last couple hours were pretty burly. <laughs> I had. Uh, what was the last thing you played? We just played Destiny for the mm. last like hour and a half or two hours or something like that. Like I couldn't, I couldn't aim my <laughs> thumb. I had drank so much caffeine and Red Bull at that point that literally my thumb was like jerking when I was trying to aim. It was just bad. And so wrapped everything up, went home, ate some breakfast at home, uh, laid down on the couch, and then passed out on the couch and slept there for like five hours. Got up, stayed up, and then I couldn't go back to sleep, and then I ended up going to play. Anyway, it was just insane. That whole, like, 48-hour period was nuts. Hmm. Um, on Monday, I wake up, and literally the muscles in my eyeballs hurt. My eyeballs hurt. I made a huge mistake during that stream of sitting way too close to a TV. That was too big. So my eyes the whole time were, like, darting side to side, up and down, looking at the screen. I should have sat way farther away from the TV. Hmm. Uh Hindsight's always twenty twenty, I guess. But, um, wow, I want to thank you guys. You guys were absolutely amazing during that stream. Uh, I can't say it enough. Just the positive energy you guys were sending my way uh, to keep me going. Um, all the outreach you guys were doing on social media. Everything. It was just absolutely incredible. You guys were so awesome. We added tons of new followers here on Twitch. Uh, we ended up generating a lot of money from Amazon Prime subscriptions on Twitch, hmm. um, which is great. And if you guys don't know how that works... Yeah, how you, does that work? So know. if you're a member of Amazon Prime, the first thing you need, you need to do is link your Prime and your Twitch accounts. Once you do that, you can subscribe to any channel you want to, hmm. one channel per month. And when you subscribe, you're basically giving five free dollars away. And the rub is that we get half of that, and then Twitch gets the other half of it, which is weird because they're kind of the same company. But anyway, mm -hmm. so you have the ability to give us $2.50 a month completely free just because you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. And a lot of people figured that out, um, and our number of subscribers for Prime went, like, through the roof. So that was awesome. Um, Patreon, so close. We're, we'll get there. We're over 5700 now, only a couple more hundred dollars to go. I think we're going to get there okay. I'm uh, really excited about that. Uh, it's pretty incredible to spend 24 hours playing video games and yeah. to generate $1,000 per month for the site. So kudos, guys. You guys were absolutely incredible. I mean, it's a pretty good total for one month considering, like, you know, it wasn't on the front page. It wasn't It wasn't a big news story like Easy Allies yeah. and all that stuff. You know, it's it's, uh, it's a very respectable total. Yep. Um, so, here we are for another month. Most Thanks mostly to you guys. You guys really kind of pulled us over the finish line here. Um, I should, also should toss out a big thank you to Wally, uh, Sifted user Wally. He saw that the total hadn't hit our goal, and he reached out to me on the site and said, Hey, I'm just going to donate the money as a one-time donation to get you over the total for this month. So... If you see Wally on the website, be sure to thank him. His username is W-O-L-L-E. Uh, he really, really stepped up and, and pulled through for us. So 
thanks again. I can't say it enough. You guys are absolutely freaking awesome. Much love to all you guys. We wouldn't be here right now doing this show if it weren't for you guys. So thank you so much. Um, and with and, that... And Sam isn't. Yeah, Sam isn't. He bailed. <laughs> <laughs> he took off. Not enough money for Sam. He got while the getting was good, Sam apparently. <laughs> Sam, Sam, only, Sam only works for a certain certain, certain threshold. He's a, <laughs> yeah, that's not true, by the way. No. He is at a wedding and all that. So he's, he's, a, he's just yeah, he's, legitimately he's, out. Yeah, he's he's got an active social life, which is not something we have to worry yeah, about. Yeah, I have no social life, so <laughs> I don't even know what that is anymore. So, anyway, thanks once again. Let's get on with the show. Matt, so the first game we're going to talk about is a game that I tried to download this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Star Wars Battlefront II's beta. Mm-hmm. I got up early today because I knew we were going to talk about it on the show. And uh, so... Get up at 6 a.m., start downloading it. It downloads really fast, by the way. And one of the things you guys probably remember from the stream was I didn't think it was going to be a problem downloading games to play. Because I had all the consoles here. I figured while I play one, the other one will download. Mm -hmm. I have never seen download speed so slow in my life. That is, I mean, the, I think I said uh, on that stream, like because you were still downloading the Fortnite Battle Royale yeah. thing. And I, would, I had been over it. Our friend Benson's right before I came over, we'd been watching the stream, and while we were watching you do that, or talk about that, he was like, oh, what's that? I'm like, yeah, just down. So he went to download. It was taking like three hours on his thing, too, okay. at his home internet. For some reason, Battle Royale was taking forever, and maybe now that we know like over seven million people are playing Fortnite, maybe it was just too many people trying to access that, that it, data. It could be. The other thing, too, is when I came home the next day, out of curiosity, I started to try to download stuff, and it was at that same speed. Hmm. So I don't know what was going on with both I, Xbox Live and PSN. I downloaded Battlefront, the Battlefront beta yesterday, uh, like during early, early in the morning or during the day, and like I mean, it's like it's no problem. Yeah, like this morning fast. I downloaded it, and I think it was twenty minutes, and it's like fifteen mm-hmm. gigs. So I don't know what the deal is there, folks. It was, it did put a kind of a kink in the in the whole stream, though, kind mm-hmm. of waiting for things to download to play. But overall, I think the stream went well. But anyway, let's talk about Battlefront. So I download it. Um, Downloads really fast. I'm ready to go. I go to launch my first match. I never got to play a match, man. Yeah. I sat there. It would say, need 15 more players, need 8 more players, need 19 more players, need 12 more players, and it just would never, ever launch for me. Mm. You had a much better experience. Yeah, I played it a fair amount yesterday afternoon and evening. Uh, I didn't try it today. Maybe just during the you know during a work day. Maybe it's Well, not, today uh, it's open to everybody. Yeah, but... Yesterday it was good for pre-order. People, people aren't home from work yet, so yeah. maybe it's just sparse. Did, by the counts. way, did you see yesterday that uh, people had figured out a way to trick EA Star Wars Battlefront website to give them early beta codes? Oh yeah, huh. they found apparently a <laughs> bot was running EA's website, and what people mm. did was they went to the website, put in a ticket saying that the code that they got didn't work. And, and the website just automatically sent huh. one. Yeah. They ended up closing the loophole by the end of the day because we saw the story during during curation. And, uh, we, you know, we always check to make sure we're not posting stuff that isn't relevant anymore. And by the time we went to add that story to the site, they had closed it down. But mm. it had worked for, like, almost 24 hours, so... Don't don't try to put one over on the gamers. <laughs> they'll find they'll find the they strategy. They'll find a way for sure. So you got to play it. I haven't. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? Um, it's pretty good. Um, it's not as floaty as the last one was, which is a little weird because floaty is sort of a battlefront trademark. It is. Yeah. Uh, it feels a little more like Call of Duty now. I would say. Um, it still seems to have that thing where aiming down the site doesn't actually make you any more accurate. Oh, really? Uh, like the first game. Yeah. It's just to get a better view of what right. you're looking at. Um, 
I've been, I mean, it's, it's, I'm hot and cold on it because, yeah, you know, it's like a beta, so you only get one map per mode. Um, but, just, man, the beta's pretty big. There's a lot, there's a lot of there's stuff a lot to of do. stuff in there, yeah. Um, the, the, so you've got Galactic Assault, which is sort of the, I guess it's Walker Assault, but, like, adapted, so in this particular, it's the same one they show, the same map they showed at E3, the Feed Palace on yeah. Naboo. And the way it works is the, the Trade Federation is moving an MTT, which is a, uh, a, a troop transport, giant, like, tank-like thing down the main drag where the parade happens at the end of Episode 1. Yeah. And it's trying to get to the palace and take over the palace. So the beginning is you got you as the, cl the clone troop. Because I've only played the clone troopers. I, I played, like, five or six of these matches. I never got to be the droids. <laughs> but, um... So you're basically just trying to stop this thing with these ion blasters you can pick up. And uh, once it gets there, it shifts into the palace and you have to play like a, a zone defense. And then if you lose the two, the two points in the zone defense, you have to defend the throne room. And if you lose the throne room... Uh, you win because I have not lost any matches. What? Like I've had matches where I mean we lost. Like like they took over the throne room. Our tickets were all gone, or like other things. Yeah. And every single time, I still get the victory cutscene. Like I think there's something wrong with the with the. You sure, you didn't have the millennial mode turned on. No, I could have been. I could have been. My main problem with that. No, my main with that problem with that mode so far is I have a lot of trouble seeing the damn robots, the droids, because they're the same very color skinny. as the as the feed. They're also very skinny. They are very skinny, but the pr problem is they're the same tan as most of the walls and ground uh, oh, as the as the the city, as the feed city. And so early on, I was having tons tons of getting shot by things I couldn't even see because they look just the same color as the wall. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're playing against like. Um, if you're playing against troopers, they're bright white targets. You know, so, so uh, a similar thing happened in uh, Endor on the first, in the last game, where the rebels were nice and camouflaged, and the stormtroopers were just running around bright white in the green forest. Um, looks amazing. I mean, the beautiful. It is one visuals. of the most beautiful games I've ever um, seen. And like, just especially on like PlayStation, there's some stuff going on there. That I'm like, man, I'm impressed they got that running. Like, especially reflection wise, and yeah. some of the reflections on the ground and stuff. Because what you see a lot of times with multiplayer is they dial the visuals back, right? Rather, sometimes rather significantly. I think but, we uh, saw that with the Call of Duty World War II. At least I hope so. The Call of Duty World War II yeah. beta. Well, also if that's do, what the campaign visuals look like. It's got problems. No. Well, also they do that in betas where they just don't want you to have to download a ton of extra right. textures. But at 13 gigs, this seems seems to be given our uh, the full the full Monty, yeah, so to speak. Um, so I played that and I played the um, the mode where uh, I can't remember the actual proper name of it, but it's uh, it's no heroes. It's all troops. It's a smaller mode, so it's basically like uh, like objective driven. So the the one the one I ended up playing over and over was the one. It's on the Takodana, which is the the, yeah. the planet with the with uh, Maz Kanata's bar from Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to pick up an artifact from there and bring it to a certain place, and the other team's trying to stop you, or vice versa. And uh, that was fun. But it's like so. There's no heroes in that mode. You just can pick elite soldiers. So like I was, I ended up being the first order every time. I never played as the Resistance or the Trade Federation. I did play as both Empire and Rebels in the Starfighter mode. Okay. But I've only get, I've been I, and as far as I know, there's no way to pick one side or the other. They just keep throwing just me on random. the same side. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I like stormtroopers. It's cool. But like. Um, so we've been trying to run. So you can be uh, if you gain enough battle points, you can be either the you can pick the uh, flame trooper or the uh, like the rock the jetpack guy, um, which is cool. Which one did you pick? Uh, I tried the flame trooper and I was not particularly effective with him. <laughs> so I went back to my heavy and assault guys. Uh, yeah. 
Um, I did, I'm terrible. There's, so there's four class, main classes. There's Assault, which is kind of general soldier. Heavy, which has a bigger gun and has an ability to pull out a chain gun, which the is tank. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Officer, which is about like you know quick pistol stuff, but got a lot of buffs for like your teammates. And then Specialist, which is like the sniper, like engineer type guy, and I am terrible at that class. <laughs> I've never been Completely good at playing sniper useless. and multiplayer shooters. Yeah, so. I'm not, not good at it at all. And then you watch some people who are good at it, and it's like mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some of the snipers in COD are just like, are you freaking kidding me? Well, some of the guys in this are really good, because like, you can see in when someone's doing the, the sniper scope thing, there's like, it's like a, like a lens flare in, in the distance right. you can see, you to see kind of flicker. warn you that. Yeah. And sometimes, a lot of times, I'll be like, oh, lens flare, there's a sniper. <laughs> yeah, so like, it's it's like before I can even finish thinking, like I've registered, I see that, it's right, over. Right. Know? Um, real fast, you know, you get back into it real fast, like you basically like, you get a thing where like it like lays out four slots and it, it's 10 second countdown, I think, a Galactic Assault and it waits either in 10 seconds or when four people are ready to respawn, whichever comes first, then you all pop back in at once. So it's not just constantly single people single filing back into the game, which actually is, is pretty good because then you're already in a group Kind of like you can already kind of move forward as a group, and sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. You know, yeah. I've gotten I've been in groups of like five or six people that got wiped out by one dude coming in from the right, and I don't know what happened. <laughs> like, I was like, all right, sure. Um, so the latency still looks. I to think be the latency is probably. still there. I mean, it is a beta, but it's it's a problem that I associate with EA's version of the game because it was a big problem in the first one. Yeah. Um, so I that's still there. Um, the uh, the big improvement for me is the Starfighter mode. Which uh, has been completely rebuilt from the ground up, like they said before. But like it, it's a legit space flight sim thing. Now, I mean, not a sim in the sense that you think of a simulation, but it's like it's not like kind of that half-assed like pseudo arcade thing they had in the first game. Yeah. Like you can get in that cockpit, you can have a cockpit, you know, first-person view, which is what I use. Uh, make sure you swap the sticks, I think, because in the, in the standard they do it the way. Like a first-person shooter would be so so like roll and speed are the left stick and steer is the right stick, yeah. which is how you steer a guy in first-person. But I want that the other way around on, yeah. over the ship, and I don't like, know why. Like some control, right? I mean, but it's like the but when you think but when you think about it, it's like it's the same thing, isn't it? Like you're just controlling your view with this stick, and you're controlling it is, and that's why movement they do with this that stick, way. and that's why they do it that way. But I had to swap it. I had to go. I had to go. Legacy Southpaw is the is the, uh, is the name <laughs> of the the the, the 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 mode you switch to, or at least. That's not, that's not a surprise to me. You played a lot of uh, yeah. Well, I played a lot like of that. space. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's not X-wing versus Tie Fighter, but it's definitely like steps towards that, and that's a good thing to me. And I've had some really nice dogfights and some try. You know, some last-minute escapes through the superstructure of the the Star Destroyer, like the Fondor shipyard thing, and like yeah. like diving through and blowing away part of the coupling link and circling back around because I know that their ship can't turn as fast as right, my Tie right. Interceptor and back up. Yeah, you know, it, it's good. Like it's really. I, matter of fact, my only issue with it is I think it's going to be a little too much for people who have never played that kind of game before which on one hand i'm like okay with because i love it but yeah. on the other hand sometimes that's that, good because it weeds out the people sort that of, but, shouldn't be but it also <laughs> mean but it also means that like that mode will be abandoned faster yeah by the player right. base i mean early on of course there'll be more than enough people to do it. but i even I, as, I didn't have any trouble getting into games but it took like twice as long to get into a starfighter game as it yeah. did like a galactic assault a couple game. months in though it'll be you and all the people who are really good right which 
It's okay, mm. right? Yeah, not bad. Want a and, little fodder in there, maybe. And the but... ships, the ships are much more robust now. I would say, like they can take more hits. You don't die instantly all the time anymore. Even in the in the you know the, the interceptors are the weakest, uh, of, you know, in terms of shielding. Uh, but I stayed alive most, you know, two or three deaths in, a whole, in the whole match, and I didn't get a ton of kills because I was still getting used to everything. And the the HUD is still needs a little work in the sense that like you shoot at a guy, the lock on kind of happens, so the arrow that points off screen to him if he gets out of your view is like tinged in white instead of just plain red like everybody else. Uh-huh. But that can be hard to follow because you're still looking at four, 14 arrows everywhere. Right, right. Um, but they, it's definitely an improvement, and again, it looks amazing, and like it's the, certainly it's the best. X-wing fighting Tie yeah. fighters like gameplay mode of anything ever. It's great. Yeah. Um, Do you think maybe the part of the problem is that it? Uh, you're talking about the controls and how they've mm-hmm. been kind of arcadey all along. Do you think that's just because all the way back in the N64 era, it kind of got off on that foot with the Battle of Hoth and Shadows of the Empire? Um, no, it I, I tends think, to be like you set that precedent, and then other developers end end up just kind of building on well, it. No, I don't think it's just that. I think it's um, you know. The, that those games, the Rogue Squadron games, grew out of a desire to have a console equivalent of the X-wing games. I yeah, think for sure um, because you know back then, a there was no way to put that many controls on a controller, and b there was just that sort of perception that everybody, including the, the publishers, had that. Um, console gamers didn't want to play something as detailed and sim-like as that. They just wanted to fly around and shoot stuff. And so that's what Rogue Squadron is. Although, Rogue Squadron is really freaking hard if you want to get the gold medals. If you really want to complete those games, Factor 5 does not mess around. They want you to play perfect. And they nailed it, too. Like, in those games, like, literally, like, it was... The perfect difficulty. Right. It was like you could get close enough to know that it was possible, right. but you really had to perfect. Yeah, you just needed 5% more accuracy and exactly. you would have gotten that gold medal. Right, but now right. you got to do it again. It yeah. took 15 minutes. Fight me. <laughs> um, the, uh, and if you I do had it, a lot more patience back yeah, then. If you I do it all, you get a Naboo Starfighter you'll never use. Right. Okay. <laughs> and, um, but like those games were, were also good in the sense that. Um, there's a timelessness to them, yeah. and like, as a matter of fact, I, I bought um, a like a converter box so I could get the rocket uh, robot on wheels footage from my M6, N64 for the bits and bytes uh, capture because it turns out uh, no modern gen- you know, general like you know Elgato style capture solution works to, you know, plays too well with composite no and yeah, S video like they get so, funky because yeah. you, you need to use S video off of a off of the uh, the the N64 oh, yeah. or it just it's just blobs yeah and. So I got a converter box that can convert the S-Video signal to HDMI, and that worked out pretty well. But as long as I had it hooked up, I decided to put some stuff in. I put Rogue, the original Rogue Squadron, and that game's still good. Yeah, it's still that fun. That game's still fun. Yeah. It's still fun but to play. But that's why I always say gameplay is, is what's most important. Yeah. Because that's what makes a game timeless. Does Is it well-balanced? Does it mm-hmm. handle well? That Those are the things that kind of always stand the test of time versus a game's visuals. Story, too, mm-hmm. can tend to hold yeah. up over time. No, I mean, I would say this game is... Um, it's more Rogue Squadron than X-Wing. Okay. Um, the difference being that uh, there's... And some... see, from my perspective, I'm cool with that. Right. Like, I prefer to kind of be on that side a little bit. There's much more Z-axis to this than Rogue Squadron ever had. Yeah. So there's up, there's up and down more. Yeah. Although there is kind of an auto-level thing. So everyone's kind of... But, but like, it's, there's, a, there's a vertical space happening that Rogue Squadron never really had. Yeah. Um, well, there were, like, those free roam yeah. options that... 
it wasn't like built kind of baked into the overall mm-hmm. experience. It's like now you can fly anywhere. Right. And so the and of course the 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 real advantage now and how they've redone it is like there's an objective to everything. So yeah. the the ver- the 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 version that's up, the map that's up for the beta is you know, empires on defense, rebels are on offense. It's at the Fondor shipyards where they manufacture and repair the Star Destroyers and the big cap ships. So the idea is you go in and you're supposed to take out the you're supposed to take out um, I think shield stuff and some of the the, the 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 defense ships, and then you have to take out your. The idea is you want to blow up this massive star destroyer that's docked for repairs. The idea being that it would destroy the whole dock, and so you have to go down and you have to go into it and take out. You have to go into the superstructure of the of the docks and the and the ship and take out the shield generator orbs. And okay. once that's down, you can then blow the couplings off of the star destroyer. And then once that happens, it's it's you, it, the, the 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 underside is vulnerable, and you can shoot at its shield generator down there, the engine, and um, basically you have a limited amount of time. It's vulnerable for the couplings reengage. So the, the the kind of the end game of the of the, the the meat of that mode, once you've got everything done, is like constantly making runs on those couplings, and then taking advantage of the time blowing away the button. Once you blow that thing up, the whole thing goes. Gotcha. Um, so instead of, you know, as opposed to the last game's fighter squadron uh, mode, which was just, like, everybody shoot each other. You know, right. there was nothing to that. Um, this one is a much more directed experience. And as a matter of fact, they all feel like, all the modes feel like, they, you know, there's, there's, there feels like there's more to all the stuff they've shown you in this. Even the single-player arcade stuff yeah, so I don't has, an, about. has an objective. Did you play the split-screen arcade I didn't mode? play split-screen, but I did play the solo stuff, which okay. is, like, the first one is, like, it, they, they, you don't pick, like, it's not just a standard... You know, match like in the uh, last game. It's like the first one I think is your Darth Maul. You can pick either Darth Maul or a super battle droid, and you have to kill a certain number of clone troopers. Okay. And you have a time limit for that, and that's all. That's what it is. And then uh, once you finish that one star, there's a two star difficulty and a three star difficulty. Only one star difficulty is available in the beta, but there'll be three levels of each one to try in the final. And then the other one is um, uh, what was the other one? I think it was basically just kill seventy clone troopers as a droid. Oh, okay. Um, and so I that was pretty easy. Like it's like you know it's just like you know I, here's a heavy droid, here's a Gatling gun, mow down stormtroopers, you're good. Um, but it's it's kind of there. There's an there's an angle to it, and they, I think they say it in the trailer, like little trailer that plays introducing you to the game, narrated by John Boyega, which is you know that's cool. He's everywhere today. Yeah. Between that and the Pacific Rim two trailer, right. woo. <laughs> um, the uh, so he kind of says like you know hone your skills in arcade, but it does feel like it's kind of giving you a chance to try these things out and learn how things work without the pressure of a multiplayer situation on you. Uh, and the the only downside I would say on the on the co op thing is it's, there's no online for it. That's insane. Like, it's, it's only split screen, same same local console. split screen yeah. only. Wow, that's crazy. So Matt, now that you've had a chance to dive in, and I'm sure I'm going to play this pretty much all weekend with my spare time. So we'll probably talk about this again next week. Sorry guys. <laughs> Um, but now that you've had a chance to kind of dive in, more excited, less excited, what you expected? Um, about what I expected. I'm still, I still get frustrated, like how many times I get killed out of nowhere Yeah. in a couple of the modes. I, I mean, any shooter where you have that many, because what's the biggest mode in this beta? 40 players? 20, 20 on 20. 20 yeah. on 20. That's a lot. It is. Um, I'd, I'd like to play other maps where I don't feel like I'm at a disadvantage trying to see the yeah. enemy. Like, I'd like to play as the droids at some point. Yeah. That would be interesting <laughs> to see it from the other side. I'd throw whatever well, hell, I'd like to just play. Right. So. <laughs> 
And uh, the, fi I mean, the, the, the Starfighter stuff is actually better than I thought it would be, so that's good. And, um, I mean, my main, my main thing I'm really interested in is the campaign. Like, I hope the campaign's cool. Yeah, um, but it looks great. It's the biggest, really. Yeah, but it looks great. There's a lot of stuff. I think the I am a little concerned about the loot box stuff because, unlike kind of the more cosmetic stuff you usually get out of loot boxes, there are liter you know real upgrades like real damage upgrades, defense upgrades you get out of these things, and it feels it looks like it gives you them and you can buy them with the credits fairly regularly, like as long as you're doing the kind of the challenges they give you in the timed like daily challenges or whatever, but. It uh, like I can see really you know if someone feels like dropping a hundred real dollars on loot boxes they're going to be way more powerful than another care another person who's playing next that's to them when that loot boxes it. go wrong and that's not a cool thing to me um, and certainly I would never do that because that's just not a useful waste of my money but like you know every once in a while you get killed by a guy who has a bunch of a bunch of really good cards lined up on their thing when they kill you, kill you and it shows you what they had right. and you're like. That's not fair. Yeah, did you? Did you I mean, I don't. You can't buy it for real money in the beta, obviously. Yeah. But I, but I look at that and I can see like, oh, there's going to come a time where you're just getting murdered by guys with just five star golds across the board, and you're like, how did you get? Did you just like throw money until you got those? Because I can't do that. I mean, that, that was sucks. happening to me when we were playing Destiny Two during the Patreon drive. Some guys just have rocket launchers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I've never had a rocket launcher in multiplayer in that game. And he would, like, we were playing, like, control, where you have to control points or whatever. Our whole team would be standing in a flag trying to capture the point. Some dude would just poke his head around the corner <laughs> and fire one rocket and just blow all of us up. And I'm like, how is that fair? I'm using this little pea shooter, like... That's what rockets are for. Yeah, we're going to get into some loot box stuff a little later on with another game we're going to talk about, too. But, man, it, it really seems like, in general... That whole concept is starting to spiral out of control a little bit. This, I mean, Battlefront's implementation of it feels worse than, like, Shadow of Wars to me. Because, yeah. for one thing, Shadow of War is single-player, and for another, the developers swear up and down on the Shadow of War that you can finish the game without needing to do that. There are most of the reviews that have come out for the um, game so far have kind yeah, of agreed. With the exception said, of Polygon, who I don't always, you know, I think enjoys the controversy. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it feels like, you know, you, you know... You, the, the, the price of not doing loot boxes for real money in that game seems to be you play the game more. Yeah. Which shouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. Unless you're just, like, really boring grinding. But I like the concept of what that end game is. So we'll see. I mean, you know, who knows? The only downside is that we're, I'm going to have to get through the whole game before I can talk about it on the show. No, yeah. It's going to be a long haul. We'll see you in two weeks. It looks like a big game. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, but this, I feel like, is really giving you an advantage over other human players, which is... Uh, that's a no-no. That's a, that's a negative there. For sure. Um, cosmetic stuff, I don't care. Yeah, sure, you look you look cool. You've got devil horns or whatever. You know, like, like that's, there's a lot, yeah, of, fine with that. a lot of that going on in Destiny. Like, you can get some cool-looking loot, like, you know, armor out of the, the bright engrams, but they come out of the bright engrams with ten armor. You have to infuse something right, to make right. them usable, yeah, and I yeah. think that's a fair thing. I agree, yeah. Um, it doesn't give you any advantage, except that now your your you your titan you look, has bunny ears, yeah, you and look that's different. cool. Yeah, which is fine. It. Yeah, so... We'll so I, well, I'm interested to see if people react badly to this, or if this is just something people gloss over because it looks so awesome they want to play it. Um, I certainly intend to gloss over it because it looks so awesome I want to play it. Uh, so I can't blame anyone for that. But like, this is the kind of loot box implementation I think we should be questioning very, very hard. Yeah. So I'll be online playing all weekend. So most of you guys are friends with me on PSN. Let's jump in. Let's play. Let's blast some droid butt. So see you online this weekend. Next we're going to talk about 
a little indie game that I've been playing this week. Um, I don't know if it'll stay a little indie game for very long, because I'm really enjoying it. It's called Battle Chasers Night War. Um, it is something I never thought we'd get a game made out of it in the modern day. Yeah, I know. But uh, it's a turn-based RPG, and... This is the first turn-based RPG I have played more than, like, an hour hmm. since Persona 5. Are you going to play Divinity? Maybe. Because the reviews have been so high, yeah. I, I might jump on it. Was that, like, a 14th 10 ever given by GameSpot? Yeah. GameSpot? GameSpot. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that game's getting huge reviews. So I've certainly thought about jumping on, but I'm also intimidated by it because I realize it's probably going to be really long. Yeah. And that is a big point I want to make about Battle Chasers, is that the game is $30, and I've played it now for probably 15 or 16 hours, and it is just, like, just getting started. <laughs> um, it's a turn-based RPG. The basic setup of the story is there's this legendary warrior who disappeared, hit, been left behind these crazy powerful gauntlets that he had. Mm. His daughter is eventually bestowed with the gauntlets, and she joins up with this I guess a group of... They're almost like pirates. They fly around in the sky on pirate ships. Little skies of Arcadia-ish. Mm -hmm. um, and the this group of people essentially protect her and raise her and whatnot. And as the game starts, they're attacked. Um, in order to save them, the elder of the group basically sends them through a wormhole. And they fly through the wormhole. He's trapped on the other side. And then the, the entire game is the people who went through the wormhole trying to find the rest of their party. And obviously... Things happen along the way, and there's all kinds of intrigue and plot twists and things like that. Um, has kind of a cell-shaded, cartoonish art style to yeah, it. Do a, do a matter era. So. Yeah, it's not a... Same guy who did... Because uh, it's based on a comic book from, like, late 90s. By yeah. the same guy who did the art for the Darksiders games. Oh, okay, that makes complete sense. It looks a lot like that. Yeah. But what is really hitting me about this game is how good it is and how polished it is for $30 and how big it is. Um, when I look at a game like this, it really makes me start to wonder why we're paying so much money for turn-based RPGs. Yeah, between something like that and Hellblade, yeah. you start to question. Yeah, it makes you wonder. You're like, wow, like why are other studios charging or other publishers charging so much money for these games when this little studio managed to make something that's in that same league mm -hmm. and selling it for half the price? Um, battle system, it's it's pretty traditional. Uh, I, think, I mean, obviously, for me personally, I'm always, every time I play a turn-based RPG now, I'm kind of comparing it to Persona 5 because I spent, like, 200 hours playing well, it was a major game. event in your life. It was. It seriously <laughs> was. Like, if I ever write a memoir about my life, probably that game will, like, make it into my memoir, <laughs> the struggle that I have with that game. So, inevitably, I'm comparing, like, every turn-based RPG I play to Persona 5. And it's, look, it's not as good as Persona 5. Don't get me wrong. I mean... Persona 5 has tons of cinemas. Most of the cinemas in this are handled with uh, just talking heads. There are a few sort of animated art still cinemas in the game. And then like one full-on CG cinema that kind of kicks off the whole thing. Uh, so the storytelling isn't as polished or robust as you would get in an RPG you pay 60 bucks for. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's not that big of a loss. The writing is really good. The story is really good. Uh, I feel like the characters are developed pretty well. And again, I'm only you know 15 hours into it, but I already feel like I care about pretty much everyone in the party. And a lot of that is because one of the big tasks in the early part of the game is to find your party. So you crash land on this planet, I guess is what it would be. And uh, part of it is kind of picking up your team members as you go and building out your party. So the battle system in it is pretty simple for turn-based RPGs. There's like this overcharge system where... You have your basic like melee attacks. Every character has his basic melee attacks, but then you have abilities as well. 
And as you use your abilities, it creates overcharge, and every attack that you have has more. And what you can do is you can chain the attacks together among your party members. So basically, you keep adding overcharge with every ability that you use, and then the last guy kind of gets to use that whole buildup of overcharge in one last devastating attack. So that meant that makes how you constitute your party really important. Who, which character you choose as your lead character is really important. Mm -hmm. And then in battle, making sure that your fight goes in a sequence where you can build as much overcharge as possible to kind of deliver that finishing blow at the end. Um, repetitive enemies, something that I would probably remark on. Uh, you do fight the same enemies probably a little too much. Uh, some of the enemies I fought in the first hour, I'm still seeing here and there in hour 15. Um, so that's maybe one of the caveats that you get with paying half price for a turn-based RPG. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I play a lot of indie games because we get code for all of them. And a lot of them I give like a spin for an hour and say, oh, this probably isn't worth talking about on Game Face. This isn't worth turning our users on to. This is one of the games that I played that I feel like, yes, like this is if you like turn-based RPGs and maybe you finished Persona 5 months ago like I did, and you're now finally ready to jump back into the genre. You should get Divinity. <laughs> no, but if you already did that... Well, that's for PC only, though, right now, Divinity Original yeah. Sin 2. So, it'll get there. It'll, it'll eventually although, come to come. Although, if you're a big turn-based RPG fan, you probably have a PC for them these days. Probably. That's yeah, kind of where... Yeah, because a lot of the JRPGs are coming to PC now, too. Yeah. It's certainly where I play, um, uh, like, all the tales, uh, the the... Damn it. Trails in the Sky. Yeah. Those games, I, I have those for PC now. Yeah, Trails in the Sky 3 just came out in Japan. Yeah, can't wait. Two huge sales, I might add. Cold, so. cold Steel? Yeah, Trails yeah. of Cold Steel. So Those are really good if you're, if you're into the old Soikoden games. The Trails in the Sky trilogy and then the tra trails, tales, trails of Cold Steel trilogy, which are all connected. Mm -hmm. uh, that is about as close as you get to a modern Soikoden game. I still don't know why there are no Soikoden games. Because Konami owns it. <laughs> well... But, I mean, there was all that time before Konami kind of jumped off the there cliff. There was a time when RPGs were not really the thing. Yeah. And, you know, well, they're, they're still kind of not really. But like, not I, I think a RPGs. modern so you could end could uh, make some waves if you did it right, but uh, it's Konami, so it's not going to be done right. So who can, just leave it. Just leave Kickstarter it. candidate or crowdfunding candidate. Yeah, call it another. I mean, it's based on an old Chinese legend. You could make another game out of it and just call it something else. Wouldn't be the first time that's been done. 108 Stars of Destiny. Go for it. <laughs> Uh, but I would say one thing, too, about Battle Chasers is that the in-game visuals and the attacks are great. Mm -hmm. um, they're extremely varied. Uh, within a few hours, each character has, like, six different abilities that they can use. Um, and the, the characters are a little... They're typical. Like, you have your heavy tank, uh, the guy who can take a ton of damage and dole a ton out, but his magic attacks aren't great, his abilities aren't great. Uh, then you have the lead character, who's basically a female version of Link. And she's kind of the middle-of-the-road person. And then you have, like, the ranger, so to speak, who has a big sword and can deal out a lot of damage, but uh, is susceptible to taking damage. So the characters are pretty well-balanced, but they're a little stereotypical, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, it, it wasn't the most brilliant comic ever written. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> the characters in the world, though, I mean, they are pretty well-written, and the writing well, is pretty it, witty. And well, it was an interesting... The, the Battle Chasers was interesting because it was kind of a bridge between old image and new image. It wasn't image, I don't think, that published it, but it was like... It was a bridge between the, that 90s era of, like, the art is everything, and we don't care if the story sucks, and the story sucks, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> and then, like, modern image is putting down some of the best-written comics ever yeah. uh, you know this you know 21st century images battle chasers kind of kind of fills that gap a little bit it's like it's it's still like really focusing on like the the elaborate art 
but it's also still trying to tell a story with actual characters and 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 some some skill there. So uh, and it's it's a testament to that game that, that that property that it just keeps coming back. Like Battle Chasers resurfaces every. Most few people years. probably never even heard of it. No, but if you know comic books, you you at least right, seen you it. have to be as old you've, as us as well. Somewhat, so. but you've seen the you know you've seen the girl with the gauntlets right. on a, like a, on like a, a an ad somewhere or something in the yeah. comic shop you went to or something right. like that. I've never read one actually, but I just know enough about it because I like I like Joe, Joe Matarera's art. So I kind of have I keep an, an one one ear on him. Yeah. Another thing I like about this game is that it kind of has some 16-bit aesthetics. There's really no overworld in the game. Uh, there's like a big map that is not to scale, so your characters are as tall as trees. You know what I'm talking mm. about? Um, and you kind of go around the map and kind of map your direction you want to go. And then there are towns, but again, the towns like the buildings are just little icons. They're not actually buildings that are the that are scaled to size. Um, there's some there's little like mini games in the game. There's like a big fishing component to the game where you need to buy a rod and then get lures and then you come across ponds throughout the game where you can fish and try to fish out the fish and then you use that stuff to craft and there's a big crafting element to the game. Um, it has all the bells and whistles of all the modern turn-based RPGs, but it literally costs half the price. And so I think it's a great value. I think any of you who like turn-based RPGs are going to like it a lot. Um, I mean, based upon what I've played so far, it looks like I'm going to get, like, you know, 30, 40 hours out of this thing for 30 bucks. So, kind of hard to pass that up. So, it's on pretty much every platform. All of you can buy it. It's on PC and all the consoles. I think the Switch version might be coming out a little later, which mm -hmm. is pretty typical right now. It's sort of developers get up to speed on that hardware. But uh, right now, it's on Xbox One, PS4, PC. I will say, I'm playing the P PS4 version, and there's slowdown. Huh. Which, it's an isometric game. So it, it can control at all times what's being shown, and there's some stages where literally it just slows down to a crawl, which is a little odd. Interesting. Uh, that could be something. Well, we'll, we'll talk about much. something related to that uh, in another game la in, later in the show as well. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying. I think it's part of our job to kind of turn you guys on to under the radar games that you may miss. This is one that I think you guys will all enjoy, provided you're a fan of turn-based RPGs. And I think it also comes at a good spot because people who have finally kind of come down off that Persona 5 high. Uh, and so I think it's find a, a, found a good spot for its release in there where people are kind of open to maybe play, playing one of these games again. So Battle Chasers Night War, I recommend it. Let's move along. We're going to talk next about something that I did not think was going to happen, Matt. Um, this week it was announced that Andrew House has left... The house. The house. <laughs> he has left the house. He went out the door. He's actually not out the door. He actually moved into like the guest house, I guess right. is the best way to put it. He hasn't completely left Sony. He is stepping down as the head of PlayStation, worldwide head of PlayStation. Um, Andrew House, for those of you who may not know his history before he kind of took Cause Horizon's job, is he was the head of PlayStation Europe for years and years and years. And we'd only see him every once in a while. Mm. Um, we He would always handle sort of the press conferences in Europe for PlayStation. And then every once in a while he'd do Tony, Tokyo Game Show because he speaks fluent Japanese. Mm. Um, and so every once in a while he would helm those. But otherwise he was kind of in the background for a long time. Obviously, obviously Kaz gets promoted to like the head of all freaking Sony. And uh, he steps in and kind of fills the void for Kaz. And consequently, PlayStation just goes through the stratosphere. And obviously that's not all him, but, you know, if you're going to blame the leader of something when things go wrong, you kind of got to give him a little credit when things go right as well. That's right. kind of the way I look at it. And things have gone very, very well 
under his watch for PlayStation, which is, to me, is what makes this so perplexing. It's like, you hear the phrase all the time, want to go out on top, you want to go out on top. One, I don't know why people ever say that. Like, why not just stay on top and enjoy the ride? Yeah. <laughs> really stay on top until you start to feel you're sort of slightly going down, and yeah. then get off. Then get out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> make, but, sure, make sure you're over the hump. The which least. makes me wonder Man. if... Behind the scenes, if things are starting to... So, then again, he's been doing this a long time. Yeah, but he's not leaving PlayStation, at least not for now. Yeah. And look, I don't think we've got... The, the story is that he voluntarily stepped aside, that he was ready for new challenges, all that kind of stuff. So, But I'm not 100% convinced that that's the, the whole story. I wouldn't say it's an untrue story that he told, mm-hmm. but there might be something else going on. And I think yeah, there's we'll, probably more happening. And I think we'll eventually hear it. But uh, to me... Hopefully not some kind of health related thing. Yeah, that would really that would really suck. But he's pretty young. He's pretty he seems pretty yeah. spry, but you never know. But the I guess the question becomes is one, if there is something going underneath the under, underneath the hood, do you think that it's the switch? This kind of I don't look, no. just last week <laughs> No? No. Just last week he did an interview, I believe, with Bloomberg, where they asked him about Vita and the Switch. And it was his answer was weird, which sounds like it'd be a pretty good sitcom. Yeah, <laughs> Vita and the Switch. Vita and the Switch. Yeah. So he, first of all, he basically said no Vita two. Like Sony's out of the handheld business. It right. doesn't think it's plausible. It works in Japan. It doesn't work anywhere else. Then they asked him about Switch, and he was very weird about it. Like he refused to say the word Switch. He kept saying Nintendo's device or Nintendo's hardware. He would never actually mm-hmm. say like the brand name of it. Well, Nintendo, like Reggie, does that too, where he just talks about our competitors, right? You know, they don't want to. They don't want. There's like a. I guess Phil Spencer's the only one who's just yeah, like Phil Spencer doesn't care. Yeah, he's yeah. just like yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, but there's kind of that. There's a little bit of an executive thing where you don't say the competitor's brand name. Yeah, it's a. It, I mean, that's not just games either. It's just like a you know, our competitors or competing brands or and even in interviews, you're just like, can you just say Kleenex? Like, I know you make pops, right. but you say Kleenex. You know, <laughs> And they won't and do it. In the old it. days, though, they did. Like, I remember Howard Lincoln, when he ran NOA, he would talk about the competition all the time. Yeah, and it's, say a, by it's, name, a, but it's a much, it's a much da- more dangerous business now. It I, is, it's, yeah. You know, one, one wrong move can bring the whole company down these days in, in gaming. Things cost so much. You but know? you don't think Switch has anything to do with it? I mean, I don't know if you saw... With him st- stepping down? With just... I don't know. If it, if it is because Sony feels like maybe it's crested with the PlayStation 4 that the Switch has anything to do with it, I guess, is a better no. way. No? I wouldn't think so. I no. mean, the Switch has literally taken over Japan. This week, this one week in Japan, it's the Switch sold 80,000 units, and the PlayStation 4 sold like 18,000. Well, I mean, it is okay, taken but, over. But my counter to that would give away one of our later subjects. Okay. So I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, you've sold million, tens of millions of PS4s, and you know they've got whatever their next step is coming. Probably the PS5 in a couple of years. Um, you know, now they're just selling software hand over fist. Like I can't imagine they're that broken up about the fact that they've only sold sixty million PS4s or whatever. It's just it's strange to me because and Nintendo's going to take a long time to even come close to that number just because they have to make them. Yeah, you know, it's going to take a while just to get all that. You know, Nintendo catching Sony is a matter of how many switches Nintendo can make at no, this you're point. Right. But you can see because typically every week in Japan up until now. The most they would ever sell was thirty to forty thousand units, mm-hmm. and last week they sold almost eighty. So it appears that Nintendo has finally got its production to a place mm-hmm. where 
it's starting to roll. Right. Well, also, cons- I mean, look, the Switch has a crazy release schedule this year. Like, they've, yeah. they've got, you know, especially if you're in Japan. Uh, especially got- if you like indie games. If, if you like indie cow. games, if you like Splatoon, if you like Zelda, if mm-hmm. you like Mario, a whole lot of people if do. You like Mario Kart. Mario Kart. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of re- if you're a if you're a Died in the Wolf fan, there's a lot of reasons to buy a Switch this year. Yeah. That may not hold next year. Yeah, uh, the schedule is a little sparse. But this year's release schedule, I don't think you can argue. As long as you're into Nintendo stuff, like I can see why that's more attractive than whatever Sony's offering. Um, I just wonder. Like also, it's like if you ha- if you're interested in Sony stuff, you've probably already got one. I mean, no, what, you're right. If you didn't buy one yet, what are you what waiting, are you waiting for? for? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. I feel like you're, if, if Sony didn't get you already, they're not getting you. Yeah. You know? I don't know what they could put out at this point. It's just pe- peculiar to me because if you look at the history with Cause Harai, had a great period with PlayStation Two, PlayStation Three, not so <laughs> much. Bales on pl- before PlayStation Four, really. And you look at Andrew, and he has just rocked it from the moment he took the job. It just seems very odd after like four or five years for him to leave that post. I don't. Know. I don't. I don't think we know enough about it to speculate on it. And all I can think is that one way or the other, there's a lot of X factors we don't know about, and also like that's got to be a real hard, high stress job. Like yeah. the ma- no, maybe, for sure. You know, how how long do you want to do it? Really? If, yeah. You know, but I'm sure he's made his money by now. They made made the money, made the stock options. You know, built his rep uh, multiple times over, and at yeah. this point, maybe like say, like, okay, we're going to start probably, you know, revving the machinery up for PlayStation Five. Oh, it's about the right time yeah. to really start thinking about that internally. For sure. And maybe he sees an opportunity to kind of step aside. And take a more advisory role while someone else steps in to the front line. And I, I, you know, just just my limited experience in executive world. Uh, anyone who wants to do that, if that's what he's doing, more power to you or less power, really, because that's how you de-stress is less power. Yeah. Um, I totally understand why someone wouldn't want to live that life for more than half a decade. It's a very, it's a very hard. It's tough. Existence. I can speak from firsthand experience. So I can't sit there and judge him as like, oh, he's gonna, he's in the height of his power. So it's like, look, man, quit when you're ahead is a, whatever you need to tell yourself to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Because like I Something can't, I, I can't too. begrudge anybody. Wanting to only have that like that super high all the spotlight on your position for a short amount of time. The last point I want to bring up before we move it ages on ages you. It does for sure. It's aged me. The last point I want to bring up before we move on is his replacement is from Sony Japan. Um, I cannot remember his name and I feel terrible. I should have mm-hmm. written it down. But he is from the J- Japanese side of the PlayStation brand. He is mm-hmm. from PlayStation. He's not some guy that they brought in from like their consumer electronics division or anything. Um, does that matter? The fact that he's from Japan, because it might. I mean, the last oh, look. As long as they don't do another cell processor cyber world thing, <laughs> like you know, I'm sure they've got the, the the ship steered where it needs to steer. Um, the question becomes, I guess, like you know, do they have anyone else in kind of the west side that would be um, west side? I mean, we're not <laughs> west side. West side. <laughs> um, do they have anyone in, in kind of the west that they would want to promote in that position? Maybe not, and. You know, it, as you said, it looks like the next big battleground in the console wars is going to be Japan. The, the fighting for Japan's soul between the Switch and whatever Sony can come up with next. Yeah. So I can understand why they would want a Japanese exec in that driver's seat. And maybe that's part of it, too. Maybe they're like, you know, the PlayStation 5, you know, the heart of the war is going to be in Tokyo. The heart of the war is going to be trying to get, you know, people to, to buy our system over... You know, whatever the next iteration of the Switch will be. Yeah. Um, and maybe they're planning ahead for that. That could be part of it, too. I just wonder, though, because 
the fact that they had someone from the West in charge and it's gone through this monumental growth mm-hmm. and it's kind of hitting on all cylinders. It's made pretty much all the right calls. You could argue, that, well, from Sony's perspective, you could argue that Japan's where they need the help. And they need, someone, they need someone who knows that market. And the West will, in some ways, as long as they don't do something incredibly stupid like they did with the PlayStation 3 uh, and its price gouge, uh, you know, the West will kind of take care of itself. Yeah, you know, you don't really need to worry about third parties making software for the next Sony system. Well, I but I think going back to your point you made earlier about how they're starting to transition now to PlayStation Five, mm-hmm. I just think about how good a job Andrew House did with the Western yeah. launch of PS4. I mean, look, well, hopefully they'll still I agree listen with to you him. That for Sony, it's battleground right now is Japan, but it's not a battleground for overall success. The success no, but, is in the West. But they're a Japanese company, and they are going to see it as that. Yeah, I mean, they place a priority on succeeding turf. there. Yeah, I but mean, when you talk about the bottom line of their business, it's a very small sliver right, of it. But but I think there's a culture, maybe a cultural difference there as oh, well. Oh sure, Rick. you want to be winning the home the home without a doubt base. Yeah. You know? and I think maybe Nintendo is a little too concentrated on that at times, and that has been that's true. to its detriment that's true. At, at certain points in its history. So it'll be interesting to watch the transition. It'll be interesting to watch the PlayStation Five rollout and, and launch, and to see if it kind of keeps all the same policies that it's had all along. Mm-hmm. Um, you also wonder if the whole not play nice with other platforms things where that where thing where that's coming from yeah. is that coming from Japan saying hey we're not going to let games that are playable on our on PSN that kind of thing usually it? does come from the the Japan side of things right. look at Atlas and, and does have... that kind of stuff tie into why Andrew's like it's time to go who knows I think we'll finally we'll eventually probably know what happened with this but mm. uh, right now it's probably just all conjecture but excellent job Andrew House by the way. Yeah. Congratulations to him. He knocked it out of the park. He's done an amazing job turning around that brand. Yeah, it was a huge turnaround. I mean, huge. Going from PS3 to PS4. And uh, look, Microsoft helped them out here. Right. Micro- yeah, Microsoft gets the, <laughs> well, get, get Microsoft gets the assist. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. Um, but, I, but Sony was definitely on the right track one way. Even, yeah. even if Microsoft hadn't done their, you know, made their DM, DRM error. Yep. Uh, Sony was Sony was uh, on the right Poised. track, and yeah. also Sony was ready to capitalize on that error, which is another thing a, a company the size of Sony isn't always agile enough to do. Is never most so. companies that size are never nimble enough to do that. Yeah. That that that's what shows the pre-planning on Sony's part that it already kind of had that roadmap down of this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We can make some changes here or there based upon what Microsoft does, but this is our roadmap, mm-hmm. and uh, it just and they shows. were ready. I mean, I know for uh, pretty much a fact they were they were. Their decision on some of that stuff came down to the day before. Yeah, waiting oh, to see, sure. literally waiting to see what Microsoft did in that press conference. Yeah, and that is a rarity. In, Microsoft, in a, in really, a multinational, mega-billion corporation like that, like yeah. that is a very you know that is willing to willingness to let your people handle the business in the way that it needs to be handled without like getting bogged down in your own corporate dogma. And the fact that Sony was able to do that and learn from that was great. And now we sit back and wait for them to make the same mistake again. Yeah. Because that's what happens in this industry <laughs> over and over and over. No, you're right. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Sony does something boneheaded at the launch of PS5 and Microsoft swoops in and does... But I would say one thing. Microsoft really needs to rethink the E3 press conference schedule. Going yeah. first is never an advantage there. No. Ever. Well, especially not for them yeah. anymore. Like, yeah. like, they're... They don't have anything that... The problem with they Microsoft... They don't have a story right, to tell. They don't have a story to tell, but also they don't have anything that you're going to... Th- like, once you've seen all the rest of it, all the, the other conferences, you're not going to think back to anything Microsoft showed and be like, oh, hey, remember that? Because like, there's, there's really nothing there at yeah. this point. 
You got another car game. You got another Crackdown preview. Got another like, Halo. Got another, another Halo. Yeah. Yeah. You got to show me something that's going to make me go whoa. And then like when after I've already, and then after I've seen Ubisoft and EA and and uh, and Sony and Nintendo, I'll still think back and be like, yeah, but remember when Microsoft showed? Blank? When was the last time you said that? Well, I think the other problem too, and, and it, particularly with this last year where they showed Xbox One X and you saw all these amazing 4K games, is that that ends and you walk away, you're like, hmm, hmm not bad. Cool. But then as the week wears on, you start to find out all those games are coming to other platforms. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't even have timed exclusivity. It kind of starts. A lot to, of them are even coming out this year. Right. It starts to dilute the message. Yeah. And yeah. So I, maybe Microsoft needs to rethink that. It's been going first for forever. Um, maybe it's time to finally say, "Hey, why aren't things going our way? Maybe we should start looking at the things that we've been doing over and over again." And try to change yeah. the definition of insanity. Yeah, we should all say over and over. And everyone needs to play result. Far Cry Three again. Clearly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We learned nothing from Voss. <laughs> for sure. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Gundam Versus. Now, this is mm -hmm. a game that, when it was debuted in Japan, there are just Gundam games out the yin yang in Japan. Lots of mobile stuff. Like, and there've been a few of this game. This, ser this is a series in the arcades yeah. and stuff. It's and it's like right now, some sifted users are starting to curate. And so I'm kind of thinking back to whenever I first started doing it and what it was like to go into our admin for the first time. And, like, when you go in there, like, we have a lot of Japanese stuff coming in, and it's in Japanese, and I can't, I can't read Japanese, so I have to, like, watch stuff to know what it is. And what you'll see, Gundam. Like, it'll mm -hmm. say all Japanese and then Gundam, you're like, okay, well, I have to watch that. So you watch <laughs> it, and it's just, most of it is just complete drivel. Uh, just all these random, like, mobile games and browser. It's just, they've milked that franchise. Gundam is a big deal. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Been around a long time. It is. And like you said, this Helped series... Helped create what modern anime is, Yeah, basically. for sure. Like, like in the wake of... Star it came, started, I think it was 79, started yeah. in the wake of Star Wars and kind of took that space opera idea and put it on primetime anime uh, show. And, it, you know, that's where Macross comes from. All yeah. that stuff, like, kind of sp spun out of that. And uh, I will confess, after buy, after playing this game, I went and I bought the Blu-ray of Did the original you? Gundam series. Wow. Because I used to watch. I watched that back way back in the day, but I I haven't seen it in probably fifteen. Are they years. in 1080p? Uh, they did a remaster off the original 35 millimeter prints, so wow. they do look really good now. Amazing. Yeah. So this is Gundam Versus. Like you said, there have been entries in this series before, which have not done especially well with critics or at retail in the West. No. Do pretty well in Japan. Here but... and there. I had to review that PlayStation 3 launch one. Yeah. Which, well, that game was bad. That was awful. Yeah, that, that was, was so bad. That was one of the worst things I've ever reviewed. Shovel, it was shovelware. It was terrible. But terrible. they probably sold enough that it was worth it for them because mm. it, it was actually one of those games that was kind of propped up at the launch a little of bit yeah even though like when you stepped in water it wiggled like a curtain yeah like there was no water <laughs> effect you just stepped in the water and it all waved like a drape yeah terrible so for starters this game is way better than that oh yeah <laughs> like way yeah. better the way it reminds me it's similar to the games i always used to like it was on uh, playstation was it was always uh versus you know gundam versus uh, federation versus zeon yeah yeah i remember those games those, those are really good um my favorite one i had to get rid of though because the cat threw up on it <laughs> I should probably try to find that again at some point. <laughs> you have the same cat as Marcus, apparently. <laughs> Marcus's cat barfed into his Xbox One. <laughs> but he, uh, so yeah, so I got this because it was it's up my alley. And uh, I two, is it a two on two fighter? Is that right? Or three on three, or one on one. So you can pick. And but are you controlling all three yourself? No, you're not. It's it's three players versus three players online. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, or two versus two, or one versus, you know, you can even permutations. Yeah. But yeah, it's teams of players. And the way it works is, um, so there's, 
like 90 something gun like mobile suits it's you insane can pick from. how many mobile suits and then made. more you can pick as your striker which is like an assist character okay um so you can like, like it's like in marvel versus capcom you can hit the l1 as the r1 button and tag someone you, in you, you they just jump in and do a thing basically i throw grenades and they shoot a thing it's a little, little bonus mode you have uh-huh. like three of those at a time basically okay and um, so the, the roster for that is even bigger. And you have to unlock all of those by upgrading the various Gundams. Um, mobile suits, I should say. They're not all Gundams. Gundam is a specific kind right. of mobile suit. Um, so if you have a favorite uh, mech from a Gundam series, it's probably here. I was looking at it's the character select screen for this game. <laughs> It it's was like huge. overwhelming, and there's a couple times where I'm like, I want to pick this thing, and I can't find it. Like, and like, yeah. it does let you scroll by show. Uh, the other thing I would warn people about is that the translation on this is minimal. Yeah, like there's a lot of cutscenes with just people speaking Japanese, and there's no subtitles. And it's just like, I'm okay, oh, wow. great. <laughs> um, like, I don't know. I'm, Looking I'm, at the character select screen in this game reminds me of when I would go to Japan and you go to the model stores, right. And you'd walk in, and, you know, someone from the West who maybe not be big into Gundam or any of that type of stuff, you go in there, and you're just blown Mm -hmm. away by how many different ones there are. Oh, yeah. It is crazy. It it is endless. And the character select screen in this reflects that. An endless waltz, you might say. Yeah. (laughs) You don't know what that is. I don't, know. That's one of the Gundam movies was called Endless Waltz. Oh, okay. The, The Gundam Wing movie was called Endless Waltz. Uh, we're not nice rep- not represented in this one really. No. Uh, Gundam Wing is, but Gundam Wing Endless Waltz had a special. Uh, the the main Gundam had a special. Here mode. comes the DLC. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's tons. Of, you know, every and it's weird because like there's there's different takes on Gundam. So the original Gundam uh, it's called Universal Century is the original continuity, which is like a it's a pretty it's moderately hard sci-fi. It's like you know there's super robot stuff in it, but it's like a lot of it is. What if we really had these things to some degree? There was the uh, 08 MS team, which like was a ground-based unit they did a whole series about, which was just like... I mean, it's basically like tanks with legs. And yeah. it gets into how much that sucks. It's like trying to clear brush so these things can walk through it, having like the <laughs> escorts... Look at it fight, from a real you know, one of them falls over, you got to drag it back up. and so I mean, it, it's, it's like people in the mud trying to make these things work. It's, it's yeah. my, probably my favorite of, of all this series. So you've got those mechs... Like, those mobile suits are in here with, like, these mobile suits that, like, merge with, like, the other dimension of the universe and channel, like, <laughs> magic through their thing. You know, it's like, it's a, there's no balance between, like, right. like, what, you know, like, some of them can't even jump. Like, the EZ-8 just runs really fast. <laughs> and it's, like, it, it's just, like, and but, like, it all feels like you, even, like, when if you're, like, a little, like, infantry guy with a cannon... And you're up against a, a dude who, in the in the series, was sort of like a magic angel character sort of thing. You feel like you got a shot. Like it, like it all kind of works out okay. Like they so did it feels a really like balance. It feels like it's pretty balanced. There are certainly mobile suits that are more powerful than the others, and like you'll see them online a lot. Uh, you'll see a lot of Gundam unicorns. You'll see uh, a lot of Epions from Gundam Wing. Uh, he's hard to use. That one is hard to use because it's almost all melee. But if you find you run into somebody online who's good with that, you ain't winning. Really? Like it, he is. I mean, he got uh, the Epion got destroyed in Evos, the Evo tournaments. But I am not good enough to play this game at Evo, and so if I, I've run into a couple guys who have been playing Epion, and it's just like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just let you, I'll just let you kill me. Like it's over. <laughs> like you're not. It's not. They are vicious and unbelievable. Some the people online, they are so good at this game. Really? Like, it's it's the learning curve Already? is steep. 
Um, That's shocking to me. Is it more melee or projectile combat? Would both. You say? I mean, the, equal measure. The different different mobile suits have different strengths, and they'll say and they'll say it. it's huge yeah. open battlegrounds. And but they'll say it like when you go to pick. It's like you know, there's strikers, uh, there's 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 uh, long range ones, there's melee ones, there's mix ones. You know, so you you kind of got to play to the strength of who whatever character you've picked. Um, like any fighting game, um, yeah. I would say in theory, long range characters probably should have the advantage. You would think, unless they completely nerf like their missiles but, um, or whatever. Well, I mean, you, you are a very mobile, you know, you are a mobile, mobile suit. suit. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're fast. The you, have a, fast. you have a lot of movement options, and I think that's why the game works so well, is because you're, you know, it's not a normal kind of, you know, you're, you're sort of locked into these things, you're nimble enough to get around what's happening, but there's just enough paw, like if you screw up, and like you know, overheat, or you don't like manage your boost well enough, you know, or or you you jump and don't you know you land in the wrong place. You you've got that split second where you're sort of in that landing animation or that sort of break between when you finish the jump or finished whatever you're doing and when you can do the next thing. And a good player knows to knows to time their shot to hit you when you're doing that. Right. And there's enough auto aim on the shots that like that'll matter. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the strategy can come into in a long range game. And I do play the long range game more than more, more than the short range because once you get up up, up close, I just panic. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's a, it's a it's an intense game. Really. Are there uh, team attacks where you can team up to do special attacks or anything? No, but I if I remember right, there are certain abilities that like. Help your teammates in certain way. The main the main team element is um, you. First off, you want to try to keep an eye on each other. Like if someone's getting their ass beat by somebody, you want to jump in and come from the side because the you can really only focus on one enemy at a time. So if you can kind of every once in a while try to switch up and keep take a look at what your buddies are doing, you can really save their their ass. Uh, are there respawns? There are. So the okay. way so the way it works is you've got to set. Like power gate, like power bar, or whatever. I, I don't remember the actual name for it, but like basically, there's a certain amount of uh, points your team has, and each Gundam, each mobile suit is worth a certain amount of points based on how powerful it is. Basically, right. you've got 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 point suits, okay. and every time you die, you get that many points taken away from your team total. And when you're out of team points, nobody can respawn anymore. And it'll ba it basically says, uh, you know, when you respawn, it'll be like last empty, whatever. Last, it says something that tells you you're out of points. So the next time any everybody dies, that's it. Got so it. basically, that's what it is. Like you, and so if you're play if you pick like a 500 point suit, you better be good, right? Like you know, because because if you Otherwise, screw up, you're, you're screwing your whole you're, team. Yeah, you're losing. I mean, it's not too much. I think it's like 1500 points the team gets or something like okay. that, or a thousand. I can't remember. I haven't. I'll be honest. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that. I'm just, I'm just there blowing <laughs> stuff fun, up. I'm, yeah. I'm still in new, full newbie right. territory. Yeah. Um, but that's how it works. Is like, okay. is like if you're if you're picking one of the high level suits, you better you be, better back it up. Yeah, you better be able to, to walk the walk. Otherwise, because the other thing is, you don't need a 500 point suit to be good. Be really good. Like yeah. there, I've seen people in 200, 300 point mobile suits like clean house. Like if, if you're good with it, you're good with it. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of sort of raw raw data, kind of. Um, like the Unicorn Gundam is really powerful on a really basic level, but I have, playing as a Unicorn, have been taken apart by a 200-point level suit because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. So uh, that's the one thing I would say is the game doesn't do a tremendously good job. It has a tutorial that endlessly loops 
this like 15 second like clip of the opening theme of the original show <laughs> which is just maddening <laughs> but it tries to kind of teach you how the controls work but it doesn't really teach you why anything works or uh -huh. like, like so I, if you're going to play it i highly recommend looking up a, like beginner tips or something because it doesn't te do a very good job of teaching you how to play um, just playing online will teach you what it, uh, it will be is very good at teaching you how to lose but you won't always know what you did wrong. Right. Because you will just, I mean... That kind of stinks. Jumping on, I mean, it's just the nature of the game. Like, jumping online for the first couple times, I, I mean, they just chewed me up and spit out the seats. Like, it was not a con... Like, I, I was like, oh, there's just beam sabers everywhere. I don't know. Okay, well, I'm dead. Okay, it's like... Now, I know this is called Gundam Versus, but is there any single-player option? There is single-player, but it's all the same thing so like just training for when you yeah so there's a there's a, a trial mode where like you 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 pick like there's like a i think 10 or so of increasing difficulty and you go through a series of battles and and usually they seem to be themed on different gundam fit series i think it's a good way to level up your every single suit all 90 something of them have their individual levels and as they level up you can then use uh, like currency you earn by playing to unlock things that um, you know, like so, and you can use those in multiplayer. You're buffed yeah. up. Well, they're not. They don't buff up. They just okay. unlock uh, things. So like, okay. you sometimes they unlock an, another move, uh, other abilities. Like you know, not more powerful, but just like now you can do a kick. Okay. Like, thing. Got it, but got mostly what they unlock are the strikers. The um, the melee the, focus. The, no, the the, the, the the strikers are the assists. Oh. So you mostly unlock assists because when you first start the game, three assists out of like 120 are open. Wow. So you have to unlock all those. You can unlock uh, emblems and titles and you know all that kind of thing. It's mostly vanity vanity plate stuff. Yeah. Um, so that and then like if you get certain ones to a certain level, you have you have a little like uh, navigation assistant that like narrates thing. The thing you start with is this really annoying ball robot that jumps up and down and goes. <laughs> so like, it's one of the first things you want to do is look into the battle navigator thing and like figure out who you want to be your battle navigator. Level that guy up and get somebody else other than that stupid ball. <laughs> Like first first thing out of the gate, right? And then there's something called ultimate, the ultimate battle or something, which is a survival mode, and like basically like easy, easy, normal, hard, ultimate, and like uh, that one's pretty tough. I got so I got through easy and normal, and I think uh, hard is like 50, 50 rounds, and I have not made it past like forty. Um, but you level up, you get a lot of XP for that, so it's a good good place to take a mobile suit you want to level up to get whatever you know badges or whatever out of it. How much is it? Sixty. It's a full price full game. price game, which I think is That's questionable. Tough, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's is not a lot of meat to it beyond kind of just the basic game. There, I think it, I think thirty or forty is about. Especially since right out the gate they're charging five bucks for DLC per, oh, per suit. If you get into the online, though, the EPD, or the entertainment per dollar, could ultimately work out, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's if you like Gundam. This is the only game in town, basically. Right. It's uh, it's got. Yeah, there isn't another. about any other. Four is there? Not in not in the West. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, right. If you like Gundam, I guarantee your your favorite suit's going to be in here, um, and they're all represented pretty well. My only real gripe in that sense, actually, is that like, there's not a lot of everyone. It's balanced well enough most of the time that it feels like none of the suits are particularly special, and like you know a suit that we that in like the in the show would be like the like one of the biggest dangers on the battlefield is just sort of there along with like other cannon fodder suits yeah. and it's just like it feels a little weird that like the personality gets drained out of it a little bit 
There's all actually there's also and especially in the in the alt the survival mode and the trial mode you will fight there's bosses so like the bigger suits that show up in the show like the 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 big zom and things like that you'll have boss fights against them and then sometimes you will play as them. Oh, so in the in the ultimate mode, particularly, in tri- like you'll uh, you'll have intervals like between like every five or six uh, survival waves, and you will play a boss fight. And sometimes you play as a group of mobile suits trying to kill the boss, and sometimes you play as the boss trying, trying to, to kill, kill the all the mobile suits. Which is fun. It's a nice change of pace. And yeah. You get like a little bonus, and there's no way to lose. Like if you, it basically like if you win, you get 500 battle points to carry into the next match. If you lose, you get 200 battle points. Yeah. To carry the, you know, so there's no penalty if you lose, and because they're hard, it's hard to. Beat twelve mobile suits. Just if you're if you're a big walkie thing with a giant laser on the front, there's not a whole <laughs> lot you can do. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's it is what it is. Like you get you you know if you look at what like a video of it, that's what you're getting. This if, sounds like a wait for a price drop game to me. Probably. I mean, if 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 Gundam games weren't so few and far between as they are, and if I wasn't enough of a fighting game kind of fan, I probably would have skipped it. But like the it's, problem with this one too is that if you wait. By the time you buy it, there may be no one to play. No one to play. Also, because this game is all driven by online. Right. Well, the other thing about it is, if you wait, they may stop selling it. Right. This, you know, it's a license, and it's a it's an obscure license that would have to be licensed for the West already. You know, you you never know. You, you, you our inclination tends to be to wait for a price drop on these things, but you never quite know if they're just going to stop printing it. Right. You know, that happens. It might be a good collect sometimes. collecting candidate, maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's it's got very good fan repu- reputation, and it can still be played, I guess, locally if you want to. There's a yeah. split screen on it, so. Would you recommend people buy it? Someone who's not a Gundam fan. Not if you're not a Gundam fan. No. Okay. I mean, maybe if you're a giant virtual own fan and you just need some kind of equivalent, because it is similar to that in some in a lot of ways. It feels like feels like uh, virtual own in 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 some ways. Okay. Um, and just like the the and there's so many characters to pick from that like you'll find something you like in there even you will you should be if you're a gundam fan you should be prepared that the character the, the characters in the mobile suits you like may not be the ones you're best at yeah you might end up being really good i think at that happens with like. every fighting game yeah though. that's true <laughs> there's lots of characters i like that i actually play yeah. with and i'm terrible everyone picks this oh i like the one the way this looks oh i don't understand him oh, okay i'll play the big well dawson's always been like that for me like he's always mm-hmm. been one of my favorite street fighter characters i've never been able to play adequately with him <laughs> at all so that's just, I think that's a part and parcel for the genre, in all yeah. honesty. So, there you go, Gundam Versus. I think at this point, Matt, we are going to have to create, like, a weekly segment. Like, the week, the toxic fool of the week or something like that. <laughs> it seems like every week on Game Face, we have at least one story, one topic that originates from someone being a jerk on the interwebs. This week's entry comes courtesy of Riot and League of Legends. Mm. So... There's this guy, his name's Tyler One, who has been a thorn in the side of Riot for literally years now. I think I've heard of this guy before. He's a streamer, and his thing is to just be a jerk. Basically, troll his team, yell, scream, get angry. He's been banned countless times. He taunts Riot when he gets banned and says, oh, I'm just going to create another character, and then he does, and then he gets away with it again, and... It has been this back-and-forth thing with this guy and Riot for years now. And uh, What does this guy do specifically that makes him worse than any other League of Legends player? Though? Like, I don't know. I mean, when you play... Because he's dedication? Uh, it's not even... here. The thing about League of Legends is, is there's no chat. So you can't talk to your teammates, which... 
when you think about the game, it's completely idiotic. Like, because it is such a team-focused game, you should have voice chat to talk to these people. But then, when you start to get to know the League of Legends community, you realize you probably would rather lose than talk with these people <laughs> on your team. So, there's a catch-22 to play here. But this guy's a streamer, so... While he can't really taunt other players he's playing with, he can just grief them and just do things to make sure that they lose. And then there is text chat in League of Legends where people can go back mm -hmm. and forth and whatnot. So he has just basically been a toxic player who makes a living off being toxic. That's his shtick, is being a jerk. People watch him. They love him. They give him whatever on Twitch. People watch his YouTube archives, etc., etc. Well, finally, uh, someone at Riot broke. His name was Aaron Rutledge. He was a developer on League of Legends, and he finally just got to the point where he just couldn't take it anymore, and he went on a tirade on, I believe it was, League of Legends official Discord chat. And here, I have the transcript of exactly what he said in Discord. Um, and this is from Aaron Rutledge, formerly of Riot. He has since resigned. Uh, maybe would have been fired by Riot. Technically, uh -huh. he resigned. So here's what he wrote. I don't know if I know what this word is. He looks like a damn humunculus. Homunculus. Homunculus. Yeah. It's like a, like a magically created like, fake human creature thing. This guy like does puppet have master. a this puppet guy, master. This guy you does have a very those? unique look. I would add. Have like, you seen Puppet Master? Those old horror yeah, yeah. movies. So like those would be considered homunculuses, oh, like okay. little little human, human like create created monster things. This guy does have a very unique look, and that's all I'm going to say. He has a shaved okay. head. And yeah, uh, honestly, it's fine. <laughs> it sounds fine. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> honestly, it's fine. He'll die from a coke overdose or testicular cancer from all the steroids. Then we'll be Gucci. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and then, so then the Discord users were like, "Yo, yo, what's going? What are you doing, man? What are you?" And, he, and, and then this is how he replied to the Discord chatters. You know how much bullshit he's caused me, personally? I've spent many, many hours of my workday dealing with his bullshit. If games had terrorists, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get the comedy of his streams and his, quote, and he has in quotes, brand. But it's at the expense of a lot of other innocent people, and that's not cool. He's had over 20 accounts per band. Wow. All, tent gone, all content gone, all rank gone. What kind of sociopath does that? He only does it for the views and for the money. And so that, and then people went freaked out on him and said, this is your customer and had oh, part on. of the community. And well, I agree. I mean, technically the woman screaming at the barista asking to see the manager for the 14th time is your customer too. No, you're right. At a certain yeah. point, you got to ask them to leave the store. And you don't want their money. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that was pretty much the extent of what he said. And then he was put under so much pressure by the League of Legends community, standing up for a toxic person, I might add, that he felt he needed to resign. And so he resigned, and then Tyler won. This is his response after, he, after everything happened. <laughs> it really sucks that some people still hold a massive grudge versus old T1 and refuse to acknowledge I've changed. What? With that being said, I have no hard feelings towards the guy... Shit happens. <laughs> yeah. He changed? Shit really did happen. Yeah. You were a jerk and, and got no somebody fired. <laughs> that is the shit that happened. Weird. Isn't it? 
So basically, Title One is saying, like most toxic people do, they come to this point where they say, say, I've changed. And now that I've said that I've changed, you need to accept that I've changed and forget everything right. I did before. It's like all of a sudden we have to call uh, Angry Joe Understanding Joe. Right. <laughs> Patient Joe. <laughs> like, just don't ever mention him again. Like, why do you mean... Yeah. You were Angry Joe for years. <laughs> You'll always be Angry Joe to me. <laughs> uh, I've known Joe for a long time, actually. Not a huge fan, but... Uh... Yeah. I like talking to him. He's, he knows his stuff. I mean, he's got his character and whatever, but like he knows his stuff. Yeah, he's I fun. mean, I always go back to the whole thing with Jeff Keighley, where he acted like a complete ass. But uh, that, that was a long that time ago. For that. And in that case, that is... And he's changed. Right. And that's what I was going <laughs> to say. If that's a case where, sure, like yeah. I can forgive somebody for doing that. I don't know if Keeley ever has, but but I can. But this guy literally, just like a month after he declares he's the new Tyler One, <laughs> can't accept that he still... He could have been... at least changed his name to Tyler Two. Right. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to... Symbolic. I wish I had read the replies to... Because that's a tweet that he said. I wish I had read the replies to that tweet to see if somebody had, had <laughs> mentioned something along those lines. But I did not read the replies because I figured they were probably just as toxic as the stuff that he's been doing. Matt, what do you make of this? Um, who is in the right? Who is in the wrong here? We're in a very strange era. That's what I make of this. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about Tyler One. Uh, well, I gave you his background already. He's right. known to be toxic. He's built his brand on being toxic. If he's been that bad about it, I don't really see why anything that Rutledge said was bad enough to require him to leave his job. Yeah. Um, usually, most players don't like the toxic players very much. That's weird to me. Isn't that it surprising that people have kind of stood up for him? I f yeah, I mean... If he's that much of an issue, why is why is I mean I guess they're his fans or people that like watching well, him do that. Or? I mean, uh, he says here that he said in another quote that the guy was making over hundred grand a year off hmm. of basically Riot's work and being toxic over Riot's work. Hmm. When Riot, when do you think? I guess maybe the question is, when do you think it's okay to let a customer have it? Probably around the twentieth perma band, yeah. <laughs> like I would think. Because I... I mean, anyone who runs a business eventually reaches this point where they have to ask themselves: Is it worth me blowing this person out of the water? Right. Because I mean, we get comments on YouTube all the time from people I mean, that are just they have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, and, it's probably and I just delete them, and because it's not worth it for me to. Yeah, I mean, the them, difference but... there is that you are the owner of Sifted, and this guy doesn't make policy for riot i mean right i mean who know internally i'm sure that was like hey you, we can't have random developers getting on the discord and calling people assholes like well, the other thing too though is whether they are or not all like of this, riot knew this guy because right. he had been an issue a thorn in their side for years and years and many people had had to work on problems that he had created so it wasn't like it was just some random user who went off the handle and mm -hmm. he went off the handle then like this was a build-up yeah I mean, but apparently Riot doesn't know what IP banning is. I don't... You, they can't. just can't ban, they can't ban him. I mean, he can go through a proxy and hide his IP address mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. It just doesn't work. Here, maybe the better question is, if you were Riot, would you have fired Aaron Rutledge? No, but I probably would have told him to stay off the Discord. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like that's not gonna that's not gonna win you any favors, really. Yeah. Like having random riot employees talking about how much they hate one particular but, guy. But Matt, do you think maybe some of the more law-abiding citizens who play League of Legends might appreciate him finally standing up and being like, "Look, dude." Sure, but like you, that's it's that's not proper channels. You know, what I mean, yeah. I mean, a corporate environment. And I, you know, Riot is a very loose kind of like. Hey, we're all part of the dude. We're, you know, all, we're, bros, doing, we're yeah. all bros. We're all the same team. We're all working towards the same thing. We're, you know, we're making this amazing game. But they are still a corporate environment when it comes down to because they're a multi-billion-dollar brand. I think billion. Oh, yeah, at this point, for sure. And um, you know, I mean, it's like it's like Blizzard made the announcement about how you know we've wasted time drilling with toxic people instead of making the game better. But that was an official statement through the person from the person at Blizzard who was you know hired to make that statement. Right. You know. Like, it's different from some developer of the game sort of, you know, mouthing off in a chat room, which is basically what's happening here. And no matter how much I sympathize with what he's <laughs> saying there, like, yeah, that's going to get you in trouble. Like, back in the day, we couldn't have gone on the message boards at G4 and been like, yeah, this one guy who keeps sending us email is crazy. Like, we can't, yeah. you know, that's not going to be, that's not going to fly. Well, the other part of it, too, is that we, we have not seen the Riot employee handbook, where right. they clearly lay out what you can and can't do. And the bottom line is, if it says you can't do this and he did it, then right. it's a moot point. I mean, it sounds to me like he just, you know, had a bad enough day with it that he decided to vent over it and it came back at him. And, like, that happened. You know, we've... We're we've, human. We've all been there and we've also all seen people get fired over similar things. Maybe yeah. not as public as this, but I've seen I've seen plenty of stuff like that over the years. People doing dumb stuff. People do... People... Sometimes <laughs> it's not even dumb. It's, it's not even dumb. It's just that yeah. one moment and... There it is, and then yeah. like, and like, you're like, "Where's blah blah blah?" And they're like, "Oh, sit down. There's a story to tell." You know, and it's yeah. like, and usually it doesn't happen right out in front like this, but like it happens, and like I get why it became an issue for Riot, but like, I don't know. The the only person who seems to have had no consequences here is the guy who got banned twenty times. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like he, like that's what his reply just rubs me so yeah. raw, dude. It really sucks that some people still hold a massive grudge versus old T1. He is trying to say, it's your fault, bro. Mm -hmm. It's your fault. You're holding a grudge. Well, this is his, the new permutation of his brand. Right. <laughs> it's kind of the sanctimonious, like, you know, I have changed and you can't accept it, so that makes you the jerk Right, thing, right. Which is a pretty standard tactic. That's been happening a lot lately yeah. in our society in general, not just in games. And I think... You know, I started talking about this topic by saying, you know, maybe we need to have, like, the toxic jerk of the week or whatever on the show, which was a joke or whatever. Maybe not. But where is this all going, though, Matt? What is the answer, the solution to this? Because this is something that's just happening every week now where we're finding toxic people in our community are either in hindering development of a game we all love or are getting good people fired from their positions. And again... While I probably wouldn't have did what he did, I wasn't in his situation. I wasn't the one who maybe had to work tons of overtime trying to deal with crap that this guy stirred up. I can't really put myself in his shoes. I wouldn't do what he did. I wouldn't fire him for what he did based upon the evidence mm. that we have. But it, you're right. At the end here, it appears Tyler won, has won. What, where is this? Where do we... How do we address this? How do we fix this? Um... Keep banning him. I Just guess. ignore. ignore I, I mean, like, but it's hard. What to, else can you do? They're in a unique position, though. Where I mean, short of hiring hitmen, there's not a whole right. lot you can do about that. <laughs> they're in a position different from, say, a business owner like me, where they ha they're in a place. Well, maybe I'm not all that different. 
where one customer is ruining the experience for the other customers. Mm -hmm. And we have had that problem on Sifted, where we've had members who have been toxic and come on, but we just ban them. Yeah, I mean, well, they're trying. But yeah. Like, is it, I mean, it's also an element of scale where it's like, you know, one person, you know, trolling or doing, you know, jerky stuff on Sifted can really impact a large percentage of Sifted users' experience. One person doing that on League of Legends is not going to be noticed by 98% of the, you know, player base because it's so huge. Just all the people that he plays with. Yeah. Which is not that many people all told. So clearly Riot is trying to do something or they wouldn't keep banning the guy. Yeah. But, like, beyond that, there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, you already can't voice chat in the game. I mean, just text chat, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, what what else? I mean, you put a satellite over his house and see when he's logging on. And, like, and there's, a, there's an extensive reporting system in League of Legends where mm -hmm. after each game you can rate every player that you play with. And look, a lot of people use that to be vindictive or to punish people who aren't good at the game. Like right. People are pretty scummy with how they use the system. And that's been a problem for Riot all along is trying to filter out the people who are being vindictive using it and the people who are legitimately using it. Mm -hmm. What I usually did whenever I would report someone for doing the stuff that like this guy would do, like griefing or just intentionally losing or getting pissy because he didn't get the lane that he wanted or whatever, is I would actually take the time to write a sentence. Mm. Because you can just report, and there's a field where you can like type an explanation. I feel like people who really care about people ruining the experience will take the time to write something. And so yeah. I always try to do that whenever... But there's no real solution to this, is there? Not I really. Mean, I mean, it's always going to be jerks. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's been around forever. I mean, there used to be people that... You know, remember in uh, Fantasy Star Online when, like, there was a way to delete somebody's character yeah. by the like, text stuff you'd send in a lobby? Like that, I mean, people would just do that. People go, like, you could lose hundreds and hundreds of hours off of that. That's I remember, crazy. too, back when there was, like, that Masetta trick where people could give other people, like, huge gobs of Masetta. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who tried to give it to me, and he had to drop it on the ground. And you'd have these people who would stand, right. like, five <laughs> feet away, and they'd wait to see that Masetta drop, and they'd dart over, and they'd take it from you before you could pick it up. So, I mean, look, griefing and acting like a jerk online is nothing new. Unfortunately, it feels like because... The online portions of these games are quickly becoming the entire game. Mm -hmm. It used to be kind of this little part of the game that you could choose to experience or not. Yeah. Well, the thing but is, but like... now it's not that way. It's like these games are all connected now. So you mm -hmm. just if you if you don't want to deal with people online, you just can't. You don't play the game at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just. It's like a, a friend of a friend wrote an article that's been passed around a bit recently, and it was titled. I, I don't know how to explain to you why you should care about other people. Yeah, I read that article. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's it kind of like... It, I remember back in the old tech TV days, we used to, you know, in the early early era of, of online stuff, and and we even had a character on X-Player called The Griefer yeah. that I played. Yeah, that's right. And, like, we did a bunch of stuff like that, and I kind of went over, like, the annoying things people did in games, like, which, was, in retrospect, was probably just giving people ideas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's always sorry. a slippery like, slope, we, yeah. <laughs> we kind of blew that one, I guess. But um, we used to think, we used, I remember, like, Adam and we used to talk about how, like, oh, well, in the future, eventually, when everything kind of converges and, like, your real name and, like, your identity is sort of wrapped up in, your, in who you are online, and it's not just a bunch of people under pseudonyms, it will get better because people won't want to be... Apparently not. Well, we've like, had that debate on Game Face before about using real names. Right. And everyone seems to be split on that. I think that is honestly a solution, though, that could work a little bit, but then you, you go think, online... You, you go online get, and you see people, like, making... But, under their own names on Facebook with their employer underneath them talking about like the most horribly like it really is like, crazy like no one 
no one thinks, or no one thinks that what they think is, can be touched, or what I don't know what it is. I mean, lots so, of like, people do get fired for that stuff. Oh yeah, but like, <laughs> I mean, it's not like nobody like actually goes and reports them. Or anything. But it's not on their mind when it, when they do it, and you know, for the small percentage of people who actually suffer consequences, I've tons of people just you know are a jerk to somebody on in a game or whatever, and that person who w- was jerked to. Uh, has to deal with it, yeah. and some you know on like Twitter or something. I guess the solution is either to take a break or block them or whatever. But like on a game like League of Legends, you can only do so much, and you can't just drop out of the game because then that impacts your rating. Right. And I don't. That know. is another problem with League of Legends. Yeah. Is <clears throat> if you don't want to play with somebody who's a jerk, you don't have a choice. You got to stick with it. Even if you end up in a game where other players on your team drop. Mm-hmm. And the other team has a full team. You have to play the game all the way out. So, so when in the rating system afterward, can you mark someone as someone you don't want to be matched with later? Or is that a you can in certain modes? You can if you play like ranked, like you don't really have control over who you play mm-hmm. with. Okay, um, but if you're just playing casual, yeah, you can block people so you don't get matched up with mm-hmm. them again. I mean, it's a big thing. You know, like my girlfriend plays Overwatch all the time, and like her and her friends won't play ranked. Yeah, because it's because so bad. In that's there. where the worst people are. So. <laughs> You wouldn't be, to me. You would think it would be the the reverse, but that's not how it works out. No, well, because it's the toxic people that care so much about that they act that way. But, yeah, yeah. the rank stuff, so, and and of course you're going to get better reactions from non toxic people in ranked because the people playing ranked for uh, probably care about you know getting further in ranked, and you know ruining that experience is going to get you a more drastic reaction than ruining someone's casual game. Yeah. So, I think the funny thing about... It's toxic- just choosing their targets, really. No, you're right. I, I think the irony in all this is that generally toxic people are some of the best players. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, in almost every multiplayer game I've ever played, the people who are the biggest jerks tend to be one of the best players in each match. That's interesting. I just... I'm, I haven't run into that too much. In, I mean, the last real... Jerk! I ran up throwing like Halo Breach or something. Wow! You know, like, <laughs> I don't play. I don't play a lot of online shooter yeah. stuff or online things. Like you know, I played mostly fighters online, and very rarely I will you know win or lose a match, and I'll get a message from them on PSN or whatever. So, I, it's always either nice cheap moves if I won, or you suck and should stop playing forever if I lost. Even if it was like down to like the last round and a sliver of life it's just yeah. like you suck don't ever play this again or something i'm just like i almost beat you dude. well the classic is uninstall delete <laughs> 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 your account yeah. Bit, yeah. yeah my first week of playing league of legends after every game i pretty much got the real din fire uninstall <laughs> like after every game <laughs> i'd be like it was my third game be nice yeah it's uh but you're right i mean i think that's another problem is mm. it's not a problem necessarily but i think that's another issue with this is that there's a big part of the brethren who don't play online and don't have to deal with it. Mm. And But the people that do are the ones who are, like, screaming from the rooftops, we need to do something, and everyone else is like, ain't my yeah. problem. Well, then, like, like the, uh, uh, like, when I would play with my group online, which we haven't, we, you know, that, that group kind of, you know, disintegrated a couple years ago, but basically we would play and we'd get, we'd get all the achievements in the Halo games and the Gears and stuff like that. But we would always do it in, like, a party and so you couldn't hear anybody else. Right. So if anyone else was being a jerk, we didn't know. They didn't about even know about it. it. Like yeah. who knew? Like, Nothing so, makes them more angry either. Right. <laughs> like every once in a while, maybe you'd have a guy come up and just start, you know, like meleeing you right, in the right. face. Like okay, I'm like okay, clearly this guy is trying to annoy us and we can't hear him. Yeah. And 
we're just going to stand here and dance. Yeah. And I, <laughs> like, so, that's great. I get. I mean, that's how we deal with it. Obviously, there are not, ways. Yeah. That is not always the an option because, it's, you know, if, if someone's harassing you on that level, especially, you know, women have a harder time with it. We're yeah. like... You know, they'll get harassed on a, on a whole different level from, you know, harassment and, and uh, you know, abuse in that regard happens about evenly between men and women, but women get, there's a different, there's like a soft and a hard kind of abuse, and women get the hard version way more no, than we right. do. For sure. And, uh, although that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, and sometimes you'll see dudes, like, suddenly suffer, like, half a day of abuse and just crumble. Crumble. Like, yeah, you know, they can't hold, they can't and, hold it together. You know, yeah. so, so never underestimate the psychic cost of being on the receiving end of that kind of thing. You're absolutely um, right. So, it's, I mean, so I, I don't want to minimize the idea of, like, oh, just ignore them. Like, what are you going to do? Because that's not a solution to a lot of people. But, but like, it does, look, it does alter people's behavior. For instance, you know... If you can, if the game allows you to ignore someone effectively, yeah. I think that's probably the best option. But it, it does alter people's behavior because, you know, I'm, we were doing the live stream. My wife stopped by a couple times to bring me food and to just say hello and make sure I was, I was alive. And, uh, and she would not come on camera. Mm. She's like, I'm not going on camera because she remembers what it was like when I worked at GT and when I worked at GameSpot. And my mom and my sisters would send her emails and be like, oh, my God, can you believe the stuff that they're saying about Shane online? And, like, she just read, like, one mm. thread of it and was like, never again. So... It does affect some... It never even happened to her. It happened to me. And just her seeing it happen to me was enough for her to be like, I want mm. no part of that. So... Well, also, similar things that probably happen to her in real life. Sure. With jerks. And she's... Yeah. You know, there's no reason to expose yourself to another... Another, uh, you know, another line of that. Yeah. There's another way for people to harass me. Awesome. You know? But I think... And, but so. the point I was trying to make with that, though, is that it is turning off people from right. playing online. Where we could have more people who are great people playing, but they're like, I want no part of that. Yeah, it's all. I mean, it's absolutely one of the reasons I never got into MOBAs. Yeah, it was like, no, I just I dabbled a little bit, and it was just like, mm, I get it now. No, and, yeah, like <laughs> I get why it's appealing, but I don't want to wade through you people. It. So yeah, that was the end of it. Cost benefit analysis did not work yeah, out pretty much. good. Yeah, pretty much. All right, let's move along. Next, we're going to talk about a game, Matt. I still have no idea why you played this game. But, it's um, called the girl and the robot. It is. It is called that. Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a game that came so, out last year. So on PC. Yeah, it came out last. It was a Kickstarter, I believe. Uh, so earlier when we talked about Battle Chasers, you talked about you know how you thought it was important to uh, give people the heads up on kind of the, the hidden gems and games you might not otherwise know about. Uh, this is a heads up on a game you might not otherwise know about, but might be stupid enough to buy like I did. Um, <laughs> so the cover of this, if you look at the cover and kind of the screenshots of this game, it sort of looks like a Teen Eco sort of Studio Ghibli sort yeah. of thing. Like there's a, you know, it the looks like the Last Guardian. It looks very Last Guardian-ish. Yeah. Looks, it's got a, it's got the, you know, the little girl laughing and, and you know holding the hand of the robot on the cover. It looks very. Uh, it's a little Bioshock-ish too, actually. Yeah, it, it, it looks like <laughs> it. Oh, that looks like kind of, kind of touching. It's kind of okay, yeah. you know. Um, so this game is real bad. <laughs> it's, um, it is kind of an eco-style sort of, uh, two-character, switch between the two characters. I mean, solve puzzles. Not, not that you do that in eco, but, like, you have to use both characters to solve puzzles and stand on locks that then, you know, lower the switch and open the right. gate. And the, you, you, you know. Yep. <laughs> I know exactly so what you're So you're, you have a little girl who can, you know, so her ability is she can jump. Uh, That's it. She's agile. She can jump. Okay. Yeah, the, the robot can't jump really. Uh, the robot uh, can block and swing a sword and push blocks. 
and um, and he has a bow and arrow. So it sounds like you mostly play as the robot. The robot can do a lot more stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like. Um, and you are in a castle, kind of a castle floating in the sky, Laputa sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, with no real explanation and no real dialogue of anything. It's just like at the beginning, she's in sort of this room... And it's like it look. It looks like a PlayStation Two game. Like it's very hard to tell what I'm supposed to be looking at. Even though it times. started as a PC game. Yeah, and like she, like the, this blue bird flies into her window and hurts its leg, and she bandages it up and sends it back out, and it goes and finds its old man Hawkmaster who sees what she did and is like, hmm. And then like she <laughs> literally, and then, like, pretty much, yeah. And then she leaves, <laughs> and she she like he opens the door to her room, and she gets out, and like you find this little amulet thing that lets you control this robot, which mm-hmm. it looks like a knight. The robot looks like a knight, and so you can switch back and forth between them. You only control one at a time. Uh, you can carry the little girl as the robot if you want to move them both together. Uh, there's these evil knight robots around that you have to fight as the robot. If the if one of the evil knights gets to the girl, it picks her up, and that's the end of the game. It's just game over, and you have to mm-hmm. load up a checkpoint. Um, the thing about it is, it's just it's a real simple, okay. like simple to the point like that it's insulting. No. Uh, the the puzzles are not complex. Well, if you're going to create a game like this in 2017, that has been done over right. and over again. You better bring something. Interesting and unique to the experience. No, and you can tell like it 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 might have been that if if it was like I don't want to say if it was made by more talented people, but like it's just it, you know how sometimes you play these games that are like it just doesn't feel good and like so like you're running around as the little girl in this right, and so it feels like you should be able to run around like an eco character, like in a three dimensional sense. But that's not how she controls. She like if you move left and right on the left stick, she like side she shuffles, she shuffles sideways. sideways. And to turn, <laughs> you have to move the the right stick to kind of aim her like a first person shooter character. Why? But if you hold the square button to run, she controls normally. What? Like she 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 turns. And why? I don't know. <laughs> so basically, you run everywhere because that's the only way to make right. the character control like a normal video game character in 2017. Yeah. Um, it it constant slowdown, constant frame rate hitching on something that looks like it could run on the Dreamcast. Which version are you playing? PlayStation Four okay. on the Pro, and it it's the performance is awful. Like it's amazing. There's par- there's parts where you have to fire a cannon like to hit like a like a metal thing to knock it down like a bridge and the fog is so the draw distance is so short you can't see the thing you're shooting. Are at. you kidding me? I mean it's all point. You just pull the lever and it automatically. But like you see you the, the cannonball it. just disappears into the fog and you hear wong <laughs> and like the and the thing like collapses. You get a cutscene of it collapsing and that's it. <laughs> the game's like three hours long. Uh, it ends on a cliffhanger as I understand it. Oh gosh. It. Um, I haven't finished it yet because at, at, near the end there's a boss battle and I was just like I got uh, I had enough yeah. basically. And at some point um, you're just like my time is worth more yeah. than this. And apparently like there's a, a kind of a beacon. It's like Act One and like no one has said anything about Act Two for almost two years. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that the game ended up getting ported to. Oliver. Yeah, it feels weird that it actually made it out because it's. I mean, I guess nothing should surprise us after Life of Black Tiger. Yeah, good point. Um, <laughs> but. So it just it just popped out, and there it is, and it's fifteen bucks, and you shouldn't buy it. It's stay away. 
I just, I just felt like, you know, as someone who saw it and saw the screens and, you know, sometimes you don't know something's terrible until you feel it. Yeah. Until you play it. Yeah. And this was one of those times for me. I was like, oh, it's, it's simple. You know, the visuals are simple, but maybe it's kind of charming. It's like, no, it's not. It's just, it's just broken. <laughs> and uh, there's one nice moment in the whole thing. It's in the very first scene where she takes care of the bird. And all the animation models are terrible. Like all, all, all of this is like weird and clunky, and none of it works. And it's just constant cuts away. From, and, and between every cut, there's like a random black screen. So there's no like. I mean, it looks like some. It's like something I would have made on like like a, like a Apple II C or right, something. Right, right. Um, but like, she she bandages the thing and takes care of it. And she goes to like to let it fly out the window. And before she puts it out to let it fly out the window, she hugs it for a second and lets it go. I'm like, and that was a very nice, very human. Like moment, it tells you something about the character that she did that to this bird before she let it go. She right. hugged the bird before she let it go, and I thought that was a really nice little. Th Whoever animated that, I, I, I kudos to you because because you it's the <laughs> only. I just shredded your game for the last ten minutes. It's the only bit of real like thought and character <laughs> animation I've saw, I've seen in the game. Like, I think what what you find though is that there are certain images that can get people to spend money. Like, I haven't seen maybe the thumbnail on Steam or on PS4 for this, or on Switch, God forbid, what the thumbnail must be, Travis. Mm. But all you really need is an image of, like, the little girl yeah. also, and the robot holding hands. Oh, and I, I guarantee some people are just like... Yeah, it got me. It's not in sync, right? But, <laughs> but, it should, but I should also note that the, the icon on the PlayStation 4... Is just a super close-up of the robot's head from the co from the cover with no title on it, which is exactly what people keep hating on. Right, right. And I and it was a moment where I was angry because I was because I and I realized I'm like, is that this? And I scroll through all my other icons and they all have like the full thing with the title of the game on it. Right. It's the only thing in the whole list that has just a picture of the character with no name on it, like a fucking mobile game icon. And I'm like. Oh my god, I noticed this now. They're starting those, to... Those Snake Pass guys <laughs> did this to me. Like, like now I think about that. That's funny. Why? <laughs> Why couldn't I have lived life without that? <laughs> but now it's too late. And you were. You had lived your yeah, whole life until... Until Snake Pass. <laughs> until you did that stupid icon change, and now I think about it. But it wasn't even really Snake Pass. It was the people who complained about it. Right. Because you would have seen that icon and not even thought about it. Never thought about it, yeah. Exactly. Now but now, yeah. Now the super close-up, awkward, off-center <laughs> shot of the character with no game title is a thing. Completely inexcusable. No. Awful. <laughs> Alright, let's move on. Appropriately, that transitions nicely to our next topic. Don't buy that game. Yeah, don't buy it. <laughs> you made that one clear. Uh, next we're going to talk about FIFA on the Switch. Um, this may not seem like a topic we would normally discuss, however... This particular game holds a great deal of significance for Switch owners and for Electronic Arts because EA has already gone on record as saying that it was looking at how the Switch version of FIFA does to decide on whether it should continue support of the platform going forward. And based upon initial sales, it appears in the UK at least that the Switch version made up less than 5% of total sales of FIFA 18. I thought it was less than one percent. Was it less than one percent? Thing I said, well, less in, than five is still accurate, by the way. Yeah, but it was less than one percent, <laughs> and it sold slightly less than the three hundred and sixty version. Okay, so it's done very poorly in the UK. We don't yes. know any US numbers yet. Um, that's the first issue. The second issue is that it does not include the ability to play head to head against friends. EA has gone on record as saying this is due to a lack of infrastructure 
for the Switch's online environment. I buy that. Number three, the reviews for the game have not been great.、Mm-hmm. Whereas the PS4, Xbox One versions are getting around a nine. The Switch version has been getting anywhere from a six to a seven point five, based upon the reviews that I have seen thus far. So, knowing all this, knowing what EA has said already, you think this is it? Like for EA, yeah, making games on Switch, maybe. Wouldn't surprise me. EA does not usually give second chances unless you're Mirror's Edge. Yeah, <laughs> and what? And, and it and it learned that it should it never give second、that. chances. Yeah. yeah. So, do you do you think EA? I mean, with the the popularity of the Switch, do you really think EA will just be one and done? Because look, it looks like it's going to completely flop. Right. EA has gone on record saying it had to do a lot of extra work on this version. Than it had to do on the other ports of the game. It's like, look, if this one doesn't fly, I mean, it's FIFA. Like, if, if there's nothing about in the UK in the UK that makes people want to jump on, like, what what other EA property is going to tempt people? Like, maybe a Madden next year. Yeah. Do you think it's fair to、For、Nintendo?、What? Who cares? People, people who own the Switch care because it's business. Like if it doesn't know, sell, don't put it on there. I get that, but do you think that this was a fair giving the the platform a fair chance? Because EA has done this with Nintendo before. It says, "Well, we're working on these games. We're going to put them out on Switch and see how they do. And if they do good, then we'll support it more." And it, but what ends up happening is EA puts out bad games on Nintendo platforms. Remember Madden sixty four,、mm-hmm. the one and only Madden game that ever came out for the N sixty four, and it was a complete train wreck. And then instead of EA saying, "Well, our game really wasn't up to scratch," Let's put out a really good game and see, and use that as a litmus、mm-hmm. test. It puts out the one poor game and it says, "Well, it didn't do well." It's almost like EA feels like it has to at least try to appease Nintendo fans, knowing full well that this game is not going to be good and it's not going to sell. It did this again with the Wii, and what what did we end up getting from EA in that in that case? Boom blocks, right? Which actually was a pretty darn good game, yeah, it was. But its appeal was zero. It's like, hey, let's play Jenga with Wii remotes. Like, no, I'll just play Jenga right here on my coffee table. Like, I don't feel like EA ever gives Nintendo a fair shot well, on its did, hardware. They did give Boomblocks a sequel. Yeah. I mean, they tried. The thing about but this, is that trying though. When you know what EA I puts Boombox, out on other platforms, Boomblocks is great. So, I do、yeah. too, but that's that's not the games that sell. It's a puzzle game. Those games. Well, you know what game does sell is FIFA, and this one apparently didn't. Right, like, but it, whether FIFA is good or not doesn't really matter. Like when when it comes down to selling one percent of the number of, of、yeah. people, overwhelmingly for FIFA, people overwhelmingly chose the more powerful hardware that displays this thing properly. Like that, versus being able to play it on the go. Yeah, no one、yeah. cares, and I've said that repeatedly. When it comes down to it, people are going to want the better experience rather than being able to play a lesser version on the train. Like I just don't think that's a big that's a thing, outside of a very vocal core group. So, while while maybe FIFA, you you and I might not consider FIFA the greatest litmus test in the world. Like it's it's EA's biggest franchise. I think you could argue it is. And、yeah. like outside of maybe putting Plants vs Zombies on it, I don't know what else you want to use as to tip your toe in that water. Like it, it I, and I think you're going to see the same thing with the Bethesda games. I don't think the Bethesda games, maybe outside of Skyrim, Skyrim might have some appeal because of the portability. I think Skyrim was going to do well. But I don't like in terms of like Wolfenstein. Who's going to pick that version over the other versions if they have another way of playing that game? I would be surprised if you look at total sales of Wolfenstein 2 if the Switch even makes up five percent of it. Yeah, like yeah. it's just. And it's, look, it is behind the eight ball. It has a much smaller installed base and all that. But sure, 
But like percentage doesn't matter on that. Yeah. Like if you're talking about like, you know what? Well, you know, what so it's per- attach rate is what you're would be somewhat. About but it's like what you're. But like what, who would pick that over the other versions? You're either double dipping or you're only, if you're only buying one, you're probably not buying the one on the, on the lesser hardware. Yeah. Unless you really are some. Unless you spend three hours on a bus every day, then it would make sense, I guess. But. This is a case though where I feel like if you're a Nintendo fan and you. God bless you. You only had a Wii U, and then you upgraded upgraded to Switch after that. This might be one of those cases where you need to go out and buy the game, because if you don't, you're gonna it's gonna be the same thing all over again with the Switch, like it was with Nintendo's yeah, last. Yeah, and then EA consoles. won't make games for the Switch, and you won't be able to play. Yeah, well, I mean, what? EA at this point has really just come down to driving games. Sports right. games, like you really and want to battlefield, s- battlefield, yeah, battlefront, and battlefield, and battlefield, and that's need it for speed, and yeah, take care. Like yeah. that's the end of like it's. I mean, EA not making. I mean, it's not the death blow that it was in the Dreamcast era. I don't but the, think. I think the problem though is you have EA is also not making VR games. They're just not. Right, in, right. They're not into. They're not into the risky stuff. Which you know? does well for their stockholders. Yeah, but I think maybe the bigger issue is it's like a dog whistle to other publishers. So 2K right now. Kind of sitting on the fence. It's it's dipping its toes in with WWE 2K18 and NBA 2K18. If those first two games don't sell well, and they look at EA's product and they're like, EA has the best soccer game. It didn't sell. Our wrestling game didn't sell. Our basketball game didn't sell. You got to figure 2K is probably mm-hmm. that one foot that's in the door is getting pulled out of the door and they're out. And then you look, then you have EA and 2K that are both saying, well. And then if you dogpile onto that with Bethesda, that could be it for mm-hmm. Switch third-party support. Which I will admit, I will admit, it already has more than I thought it was going to get. Right, <laughs> right. And I, but again, like none of those versions of those games have any appeal to me. Yeah. Like if I have, an, if I have other platforms. Skyrim, other playing Nintendo, Skyrim on the go has some appeal to me, definitely. Playing Skyrim without mods is n- is non-starter to me. Yeah, like, I mean, you're, too, uh, you've played a metric ton of Skyrim, right? Though. But I mean, if you're not going to give me the full experience, like, what's the point? I mean, like, even, I even on the, once any other it. console, even to some degree, the PS4, you can play with mod support, which makes the game better and gives you some really important quality of life upgrades that are not so far. I mean, they, maybe they'll put that mod support in once Nintendo has an online infrastructure to speak of, yeah. like you know, early next year. But right now at launch, I don't think you're you're getting a very inferior Skyrim experience outside of the ability to take it outside the house. I, I, to me, that has charm, and I'm just somebody. Not for sixty bucks, it doesn't. I'm just someone who played Skyrim once, finished it, never went back, never messed with mods. I just played through the campaign, and I was done with it. So to me, it does still have some appeal. But I think the other thing that's going against Switch in this particular case and with this particular timing is that this holiday season. When someone buys a game for Switch, what are they going to buy? Well, They're going to buy Mario. And Zelda, if they haven't already. Right. Like, that has been a problem for Nintendo all along. Yeah. Is that when third parties do show up, Nintendo fans do not buy third-party games. And, it's, and, the, and the irony of it is that when they're really going to need third-party support to keep people inter- Next year. interested is not 2018, and they're not going to have it because none of the stuff this year is going to sell. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, I just, I'm flabbergasted at the sales of Switch. I mean, it just mm-hmm. continues to just roll and roll. And well, because people are buying it for Nintendo's output, because that's yeah. what people buy Nintendo systems for. And they have for, since the GameCube, that's basically been the rule. You have a game, you have a Nintendo system, 
You play the Nintendo releases on it. You have another game console to, or a PC to play everything else on. And I think that's and where Microsoft. If Nintendo wants to. Nintendo feels like it feels like Nintendo wants to break out of that mold a little bit, or they wouldn't be courting Bethesda the way they are to get three games ported over here. They clearly talked EA into doing something they didn't want to do. Like it feels this FIFA game feels like they they grudgingly made it. And I think that is where Nintendo's strategy for lower powered hardware burns it. Absolutely. The worst. Absolutely. Because micro, if you look at Microsoft... Nintendo can make something that look. I mean, look, all this stuff like Splatoon 2 and Mario plus Rabbids and Mario Odyssey, they've got this really sharp, clean look to them yeah. that makes them... You know, it, they're clearly not technologically on the same level as something like Horizon, but, but they look great. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they, they found the art, kind of the house style that takes the best advantage of the hardware at the resolution they're putting out at, and it looks fantastic. It looks really sharp and great and appealing. And can other companies necessarily do that? No, because that's not what their target... You know, that's not what Doom is supposed to look like. They're lucky that Doom is so scalable, because it doesn't... You know, Doom can run, you know, up and down pretty easy on that engine, and they're doing that on the Switch, and it looks pretty good. But, like... Other companies are not necessarily that agile in terms of what they can put on a system that way. And this is where Microsoft, because I could say the same thing about Microsoft in the Xbox One era, is that you bought an Xbox One to play Microsoft's games, Mm -hmm. maybe. Such as it is. But what you're seeing with Microsoft is, one, hardware was on par, close to on par with PS4 all along. But now, it gets it. It's like... We have nothing to get people to buy our console other than our games. And our games have fallen into this vicious cycle. So what does it do? It creates a box that makes sure that all third-party games look the best on its box Mm -hmm. and play the best on its box. And so suddenly, it has a proposition to give consumers. With Nintendo, that's not the case if you're a third-party publisher looking at at releasing games on a Nintendo platform. There's none of that. Mm -hmm. It's like... Hey, we hope these people that bought the Switch didn't buy this already on the other consoles. Right. That's a small market. So and, and that it fits on a cartridge without having, having charge, use too much downloadable content space. Right. Or having to charge extra money for your version versus the other versions, which is... Like with Lily Noir. Which yeah. pretty much everything at this point, any third-party game. So... I don't know. I hope EA will give Switch another chance uh, because I don't feel like this was really. I don't a see fair what they chance. would do that with though. I guess would be like when you're like, okay, give EA, EA give it another they chance. They need but... for speed, payback. That might be one. Mm, I don't know if that's going to sell the other consoles. I mean, there aren't. I mean, there's, there's an open market there on Switch right now. There's really no, no driving really. Yeah. None. I mean, there's this mobile game that's coming out that has been on iOS and Android. We've got for the like San Francisco years. Rush 2049 rights. Let's bring that back. Let's make that happen. I'm down with that. But see, that you're right, though. That is, like, something that a publisher could do. They could be like, hey, let's think back to, like, maybe some of the racing games that were big on Nintendo platforms in the Mm -hmm. past. Let's revive that. Let's create another one that resonates with the Nintendo fans. That might work. But it seems to me the the route that third-party publishers are taking right now is Mm which is the exact wrong one. Yeah, you're you're just doing... It basically is the Vita thing, where it's like, okay, so you're, you're not trying to sell me new games that take advantage of this platform in a way... That no other platform can do. You're just kneecapping your other games and trying to sell me that as no. oh, it's better because you can play it on your lap, kind of thing. And you're right, and that didn't work for the Vita, and it's not going to work for this because it doesn't capture the mainstream's imagination. And it is an apt comparison too, especially now that pretty much every game that comes out on Vita is a crossplay title where yeah. you buy it once and you essentially get both a handheld and a console version. So, and you're right, it has absolutely not worked for Sony at all. So. 
We'll see. I mean, right now Nintendo has plenty of first-party stuff to keep it chugging and mm. keep it going. I'd be interested but. to see if EA uh, gives them another shot once the online infrastructure is in place. Yeah. Because, look, I mean, I think part of the thing that's going to make some of these third-party publishers decide one way or the other is the online infrastructure and whether they can sell you loot boxes efficiently. Yeah. No, you're right. Like, the yeah, game as a service right. platform is going to be, yeah. I mean, if you can't put that model on there easily, that's going to be one of the biggest barriers. You don't, I mean, you don't want to think about it that way. But monetarily, if you're like, if this is where, if our money comes from this whole idea of milking people for excess content after the fact, and Nintendo's system doesn't support that easily, that's going to be the biggest hurdle, bigger than almost any other hurdle you can think of this generation. Another hurdle that's coming up for Nintendo is publishers are moving away from releasing versions for PS3 and Xbox 360 now. Right. And that was always kind of something that Nintendo could hold on to. Hey, they're already creating these versions for last gen that they could kind of just port over to our machine. Now those are going away. Those teams are dissolving. That software isn't mm-hmm. being being created for lesser hardware now. Well, they need to fo- like what they need to focus on is uh, basically they need third parties to be doing stuff like Mario plus Rabbids. Yeah, like you need original games built for the system, built to appeal to the audience. And so far, only Ubisoft seems interested in doing that. Yeah. So we'll see, but uh, you can only lean on the indie game thing, and they are doing the indie game thing really, really oh well. Oh my god! <laughs> Here's the thing: I wonder though, is it too much? Like, literally every day, five more indie games are announced for Switch, and they're all just coming at once in this just big pile. There were 18 games released for Switch last week. It can't hurt too much. I mean, they're always going to live on they the gotta, service. I mean, they got to improve the eShop. So you can browse them better. Yeah. Um, but I would argue that, like, in this, by this, as a flip side of the idea that, like, I don't want to pay sixty bucks again for a, for a portable version of a game I already own twice. Yeah. Uh, I might pay ten bucks for an indie game that I like to play and would like to play on the plane. Yeah. You know, because that's something that would kind of fit in the bite size kind of mobile space better. Yeah. And like, if I could get like a you know like a, a nice version on switch for like nine or 15 bucks of like sundered or axiom verge i do yeah that's yeah. cool like but it's just like rebuying full price triple a games again like that run let because like look sundered or whatever game like that's going to look pretty much the same on my pc or on the switch yeah what's the difference yeah it's but, also not going to eat up your battery on your like, switch I th- like a lot of right. games would and that's a much i think that's a much smarter tactic that and nintendo is leaning into that really hard and that's really smart and i think that's going to going to buy them some time next year but do you think that all these Indie games, because one thing I will say is that despite some of the issues that Platonic has had with Ukulele and a couple mm-hmm. other games working with Unity on Switch, it certainly appears that porting a game to Switch, at least indie games, is very quick and very easy, mm-hmm. which is good. But it's like we're getting this big pile, like, boom, like, right away, and then what happens? Well, I think the I think the stream of indie stuff will continue through next. I mean, it's going to be pretty steady. I don't look. The, the main issue here for me is like there's no real way to browse them on the eShop. Yeah, right it's tough. Now. Yeah. Like you've got basically your three highlight places, and then you can search for them directly. But there's no way to just sort of like, sort. hey, just dig through and show me stuff. Just yeah. let me see what I, what you got. There's no way to do that yet. Um, I think we're really, you know, Mar- I mean, Mario is the 800-pound gorilla of, of the fall here. Like, there, you know, that's the only thing Nintendo really needs to focus on getting right right now. But come January, uh, and you know, moving into Q1 or whatever, that you know, I, I assume sometime in mid-January because that's also when they announced the Wii eShop will shut down. So to me, that would indicate that that's when they're they're going to make that transition. Um, like that eShop, the new eShop basically has the, the Switch eShop has to be robust and functional, and the online stuff has to be there so that it be, becomes this indie marketplace that's the best way to play these games 
you know, on the go, basically. You know, basically a, a way to, to play these games in a different way than any other console offers you to be able to play them. And that's where their strength is going to be there. Because playing most of these indie games on the Switch is not going to be a lesser experience technologically than no, any sure. of the other consoles. And right there, that, in that sense, you know, the price is probably going to be the same because it's digital. There's no cartridge involved for most of them. And you can take them on the go. And, like, there's no downside to that. Like, yeah. that's where the, the, how the Switch functions. There's nothing but added value there. Well, and the only downside great. is that these games have been on other platforms, in some cases, right. for, like, three years. So. But who has every indie game? Yeah. You know, there's always going to be a couple you've never played before. And I think that's part of why they're putting so many on there right now is because, you know... None of us have played all the indie games we're interested in. Some of these games that are coming to the Switch maybe are stuff you've never even heard of before or never yeah. gotten around to, and maybe maybe now you give it a shot on the Switch because at least that way it's another way to play it. It's better than nothing. Right. <laughs> because Because that's what Nintendo systems have had know. before. Yeah, we right. both know there have been long periods of nothing before where it didn't even have the relationship with the indies mm -hmm. to fill in those gaps. I think the main thing they need to focus on is uh, they've got that happening. That's cool. Their own first-party output is going to be fine. I don't care about Kirby and Yoshi, but it's something. And other people uh, do. So. But they need they need more Mario plus Rabbids-style things. They need third parties working on, on custom exclusives. content, unique exclusives that make people happy to own that system outside of Nintendo's own output. They don't all have to be Nintendo crossovers, but yeah. just, you know, that kind of thing. Games tailored to Nintendo's audience, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you have so many. The, the third parties have to, you know, if they're interested, they have to accept that they are not making games for the same audience they are on the PlayStation, and the Xbox, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a different thing. Yep. All right, it's time to move on to our last topic of episode one hundred and five. Uh, we're going to talk about Forza Motorsport Seven. Um, I played a little bit of this on the mm. Patreon drive stream. Played about 30, mm. 35 minutes of it, or whatever. Um, I saw you racing the semi, the semi trucks. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the time I spent with it on the stream. Came back, recuperated from the stream, fired it back up, and did not have as much fun with it after that. Uh, it's not that I wasn't having fun or it's not a polished game. It is. Um, and I was having a good amount of entertainment from it. But after I got about halfway through the single player, I just lost all interest, Matt. Hmm. There, there's nothing that separates, and look, I'm sure there are people who are buying Xbox One X who will vehemently disagree with me when they play it in 4K, but as someone who is playing it in 1080p, I struggled to find any reason to recommend people to buy this if they had the Forza 6, which you mm -hmm. could probably buy now for like $18 or whatever. Yeah, with all the DLC or whatever. Right, and it's, uh, I mean, I will say they do... Turn 10 does try here and there to mix things up and change the formula. Uh, like, there's, like, some little, like, minigame stuff. Like, there's, like, a bowling, these bowling races. Did you ever play that in any Forza games before? Nothing I remember. That's a new one on me. Yeah, so they're, like, they set up, like, these bowling pins around a track. They're not actually bowling pins. They're, like, I don't mm. even know what you call them. Just, like, these rubber things that stand up. But they're... They're put in a triangular yeah. shape like bowling pins. Maybe there was something like that on the Top Gear tracks in in six or five or. That's six. what was they say. This is the Top Gear whatever right. bowling something okay. or other. Yeah, maybe maybe there that. was something like that back then. It's been a while. I mean, I'll be honest. The Horizon games stick in my head way better than the normal. It, Forza and games. that was what I, that was my whole purpose of this discussion is go buy Forza Horizon three. Um, at this point, the Horizon franchise has completely transcended. Forza Motorsport. After playing mm. Horizon, this game just see, seems bereft of any excitement whatsoever. 
And I think that might be a good way to describe the Forza Motorsport franchise in general is bereft of excitement. See, I wouldn't agree with that at all. Really? Because I love I love the Forza games. And a matter of fact, I have every Forza game and the collector's edition and VIP edition of every single one of them were available, you know, when, when they started doing that, right. all the way back to the original Xbox. And I skipped this game. Because and why did you skip it? I skipped it because A, it looked like you're saying, it looked like there wasn't really any any movement in terms of what you're doing or, or the way the game presents anything or, or, or plays anything outside of, hey, if you have an Xbox One X, this is going to look amazing. Like, it's, it's a visual tour de force, but, like, they all are. They've yeah. always been that. You know, yeah. the Forza games are always like that. Forza Horizon 3 is that on my PC. I mean, they're, they're, they're very pretty games. That's, yeah. that's not a new feature when you think about yeah. it. Um, but because, like... Yeah, as someone who uh, finds the, the the panic over loot boxes to be a little overblown, I think what they're doing with the this game in the loot boxes is beyond. No, it's no, not the loot boxes are definitely an down issue to the in point that they you know the VIP access has always been sort of the collector's edition version right. of things, and that's always been like a bonus to credits and XP, and you get some free cars and a, And while they did change it after the community outcry, the VIP for you know, at launch was. You get a bunch of consumable stuff, and then that's it. Yeah, it was not which a permanent have, bonus, which they have changed. Now they, they, they gave the they fans freaked out. And they, they gave everyone a million credits, yeah. and they're going to change it and make it a permanent bonus. Okay, great, but like that didn't that wasn't in place when pre-order time was happening, and I decided yeah. I'm not going to do this. And so this will be the fir- this is the first Forza I have passed on in the entire series. The loot boxes are definitely a problem because and, and this game is a grind. Yeah. And, and a grind, and it feels like, you know, and watching a couple of, of uh, we weren't Let's Plays, but there were streams of people playing, yeah. and you could see the grind was was worse than other Forzas have been, and frankly, I'd, if I, I feel like if I need to play Forza, I will just put six in yeah. and play I, that. That is absolutely the right tactic to use. The other thing I would say about this game, and look, you can... You can adjust the AI before every race. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like it's too easy, you can bump it up. Before, in every race, you can adjust it. So it's, it can be on a, rate, a case-by-case basis on, on what you do. But generally, like I try to keep it in the middle because that's how we, gen- we generally evaluate games. And here's typically how a race plays out for me. Either I finish in first by half a lap or you're just mired in the back of the pack and you finish like 10th or 11th. There's mm-hmm. no happy medium. Like when... When you're racing head to head, let's say you're towards the like the last lap of a race and you're in third, you've managed to fight your way up through the pack and to get in the third. That's when you can see how good the game is, uh, because that's when you can really see the AI of the mm-hmm. computer. And that's how- always been the strength of Forza is, is the AI, as opposed to sort of Gran Turismo had sort of just. This is where I'm driving, Bots. and if you get yeah. in my way, I'm going to plow you right. out of the way. That's Gran Turismo. Maybe the new one isn't that way, but that's well, what been in the, the past. See, the thing about that is, like, because, look, I'm a giant Forza fan. I think Turn 10 does really good stuff. Um, I've always found Gran Turismo to be kind of sterile and dull, but... and I, I, I think Forza's I, that way, too, I, though. When I, I, no, Forza is much, has traditionally much been much more about the love of the car and, and, I agree the, and with the love that. of that like it, but the it gets that though it's there's this all well, it's this better weird, than, it's like, always been time. it's always been better than Gran Turismo's blank white screens yeah um but I'm but I I say I make the comparison between Gran Turismo and Forza so I, to add weight to what I'm going to say here which is GT Sport comes out next year and doesn't have any of this loot box comes out this year is it this year yeah okay so so it's right around the corner then it is yeah and doesn't have any of this loot box bullshit in it the loot boxes. Anyway, going back to my. So, as someone who has was, never ever said GT over Forza, 
I feel like GT is over Forza on this one because GT is treating you better. I don't know regard. if I would go that far, but I will say that the game, what I was getting at is that the races can be really close. And you can spend real money, essentially, mm-hmm. to make the races not close. Hmm. Now, that's for single player, which you talk about Shadow of War, we're, we're kind of okay with single player mm-hmm. stuff. But part of the other thing is, like, the thing they're doing... It's dirty, though. But the thing they're they doing that in too... Shadow of War with is a new element of the game, whereas you didn't need to do that in previous Forces. Right. Like, to me, it's, it's the monetization of features that have already been part of the series... That's where things like this start to make me feel uh, like dirty about it. No, it's it. dirty. Like I, as I'm playing the game, and I will go and I'll look at like what I can pay money for, and you want to buy it. Mm-hmm. That's the point. When you look at the stuff, do you want to buy it or you do not want to buy it? As a reasonable player, not someone who's just filthy rich and is just throws money doesn't care. Somebody who is thoughtful about whether they spend money on microtransactions. I play this game. And I look at the loot boxes and what you get for them, and I'm like, I really wish I were rich so I could pay for that. <laughs> Seriously. Because that's, that's how the game kind of grinds on you. You're like, I wish I could just be a little bit better and have a little bit better of a car than what they're giving me. And that's essentially what they're offering for you to pay for. You wish you were a baller. You wish you were a little, a little bit, bit taller. taller yeah. <laughs> but but seriously, like usually I look at loot boxes and I'm like, I don't care. I don't want a hat right. or I don't want a shader or whatever. Or even of previous forces where it's like, I don't need car tokens. I got plenty of, no, exactly. plenty of cars. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. And in this one, what they're offering you, you're like, yeah, if I mm-hmm. had disposable income, I would buy that. And they're going to make a lot of money off of it. That's the sad part. Because there are plenty of people out there who do have money to burn and are more than happy to spend it. And I think that's the problem. Right. It's like, because previously you have been able to pay real money for car tokens to buy stuff. And I just, I never felt the need, even thought about buying you win that. you pretty much you get win a cars car constantly. with every race almost and if yeah. you're vip you get you a bunch choose. of good stuff to you start with yeah car and you do the, 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 the wheel spin stuff and and that i don't remember if that's in regular forza that was in it's horizon not in, i haven't seen it in seven yet but like i felt like they're pretty generous with different yeah. and also different types of cars so it's like it's, not, it's never like you have to spend you really even spend in-game credits to get a car that qualifies you for a certain type you of race, do. you you in the previous ones you didn't really have to, do, have that. to do that. You'd have you'd have to buy that. Like say you'd have to, I mean you'd have you get like an off road car or a spe- you know specific like four wheel drive car, or whatever. Like you'd have a you'd have one after playing certain circuits and certain races, you'd be able to enter that next tournament or whatever. And maybe you'd have to spend credits to get the one you want if there's a favorite car you had that you wanted specifically to get. But you would not have to spend in-game credits that you'd earned really just to qualify for. They for, do. For it an does event. do that in seven. That, so that's a that's a change. Then. Yep. Like there's these uh, like Polaris like golf glorified golf carts for hmm. instance, and like I didn't have one. I needed to compete the race. I needed to spend thirty thousand credits to get it. So that is something that shifts a little bit. And you can see there is a shift hmm. in the monetization strategy of this game. But I feel like maybe we're dwelling on it a little much because there is so much game here. I mean, it is a huge game with tons of tracks, tons of cars. I just, I could not rationalize spending another 40 hours playing it. I just Mm -hmm. couldn't. I'm like, I have done all this before. I'm sure there are... It feels like starting over again. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are 20 cars in here that were in the last game, and there's a few tracks that were in the last game, so they can say it's a new game, but... This really just felt like an expansion to Forza 6 to me. Um, I would not recommend buying this game. I would recommend going and finding Forza Motorsport 6 somewhere for 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or get Horizon Three and play the Hot Wheels expansion because that is the most that's the most fun Forza I've Horizon. had. So far, Forza Horizon Three for me is my favorite driving game of this generation, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you can probably find that for thirty or forty bucks at this point. I just I feel like Forza Motorsport Seven is a technical showcase for Xbox One X. That's what mm-hmm. it really feels like to me. Microsoft knows people are going to buy it because it was the game that they marketed the X with. Everybody knows it runs in native 4K. They're going to sell a ton of this game no matter what. But if you're not getting the X and you just own an Xbox and you're looking for your next driving sim, I just say buy the old game. Mm-hmm. And to your point about presentation being sterile and GT, I feel like this game is like this too. There's just all these awkward pauses where they stay on a screen of just a driver standing there too long. They're, the load times are terrible like uh you load a race and like you have to wait for the start button to become (laughs) active for the race to start and literally sometimes you sit there for like six minutes waiting for a race to load up and launch the race it's slow it's clunky um the game looks great even on my base xbox one it it does look good Uh, it's not going to blow you away like like it does on xbox one x i'll tell you that much and sometimes it's hard for me to even comprehend that they're the same game Hmm. (laughs) like Really? So this disc that I have in my Xbox right now, I could put this in One X and it looks that much better. Yeah, well, look at—I mean, I just—I booted up The Witcher Three this week on PS4 because they put the 4K right. patch up. Yeah, and like, yeah, the difference is stunning. <laughs> it all, is, yeah. all it takes is, is a little geometry and a little yeah. little texture bump, and man, that looks there's a difference there. Yeah, and so, yeah, it's all right there. It's 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 doesn't even take that much data. You know, it's it's just moving that slider. Yeah, up a little higher, and uh, I, I, to me, I mean, look, I have all the all six other Forces, and the Forza Horizons. I'm a big Forza fan, but I just can't do this one, not yet. Like, and at the very least, I have to wait and see what the reviews say about GT. Yeah, like, and I haven't. It has been a no Forza has been a no brainer purchase for me for ten years now. Every single time. I haven't bought a GT uh, Gran Turismo game in forever. Um, not probably not since. Five, maybe some version of five for cheap or something like and now i'm really thinking like maybe it's really time to take a look and make a real comparison and we also have project cars 2 out there yeah it just came out it's getting huge reviews and, and hey like maybe i'll just say screw all of it and wait for the crew too and that I might be know. part of it for me is that maybe i just maybe just driving sims aren't my thing anymore it could just yeah. be the point where i've just played them for so many years that they've just kind that's, of lost that's their part of it. Also, I feel like there's nothing in Forza 7, because I don't have an Xbox One X. I don't plan to get an Xbox One X. There's not really anything in Forza 7 that makes me desperately want it over just, like, booting up Forza 6 again. I don't know what it could be. That's yeah. I think that's the problem. Like, I feel like we've just reached the the apex of the law of diminishing returns for yeah. I'm just not sense. enough of a gearhead that the, the, the minor tweaks of 7 are going to... Get me interested. Get me sixty dollars interested. I yeah. guess would be the way to put it. I uh, like I said, I got about halfway through the campaign and just quit. I just it got to the point where I wasn't really having fun anymore. It wasn't that it was hard or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like I was winning pretty much every race in first place or maybe second sometimes. Every once in a while, you get that one driver that mm-hmm. just a maniac that you're just you're supposed to lose. And yeah, well, <laughs> also like sometimes because it's all drive guitar stuff, right? Yeah. So I've got a couple of people on my friends list that basically seem to train their drivers to just ram shit. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's all, there's some there's some rubbing. In, well, the other in, thing too is games. when you play like Grand Prix, where it's like a series of races. 
the guy who finishes in second always finishes in second. Mm. So you win the first three races in first place, and if you finish like third in the last one, you don't win the circuit. I hate that. Mm. I mean, almost all driving games do that. Mario Kart does it. Uh, whoever's in second always finishes second. So if you mess up once, you don't win first place in the circuit. This game does that as well. And it, and the other part too is that it'll throw like a weird race in there. So first three races. Maybe dry or wet, but daylight. And then, like, the last race is, like, pitch black with rain. And it's just a total toss-up. And you're like, and then you fight through it and finish third, but that guy who's been finishing second every single time finishes first, and you don't win the circuit. And you just think about it. Oh, I just spent 40 minutes playing that circuit to get second place. Like, it just, after a while, it just started to wear on me. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the presentation, like, just the way the whole game is snapped together, it just feels like it's just not polished. It's just clunky and slow, and the menus are laggy. And that load time sounds like a big difference. The load time's bad. It may be better on Xbox One X, but again, I have the launch Xbox One. That doesn't One. help you. Yeah, it doesn't help me. So, I don't know. I, mean, I, I guess you could argue that I could buy it and play it on PC, because I have a yeah, PC that would make absolutely. it look that good. Yeah. But, like... It just feels like I've started over so many times on these Forza games and done so many of these campaigns, and I don't see anything in 7 that makes me really want to say, yeah, I want to do that again. Do you, yeah, do you want to? Do you want to race go-karts around a dirt track again? Like, I didn't. I just got to the point where I'm just burnt out on it. And... Yeah, and maybe I'm just out of the sim mentality right now, because if I was going to do a driving game, I'd probably just load Horizon 3 up again. Yep. That's what I recommend. Or buying... The game from two years ago, which you probably can really get for like fifteen bucks, I'm guessing. Forza I was, I'm sure there's you know, there'll be some digital sale in this this fall where you can get Forza Six for a really good price. Yep, that's what I recommend. I'm sure there's already been good sales like yeah. that. Yeah. All right, so it's time for our trailer of the week. Lots of good trailers this week. Yeah. It's got a new. Uh, but I knew you'd pick this one. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, South Park, the fractured butthole is coming out pretty soon. It yeah. went gold. It's not going to be much longer. Is it this month or is next it? month? I want to say it's next month, but I haven't. I don't remember. It's soon. I know that much. Um, every trailer for this game is something worth watching, but this one in particular, I, I thought was uh, was a little different, even for Ubisoft and for this game. And here it is: South Park, the fractured butthole. I am the fart trailer. What I have is an instrument, and it's the most powerful one that anybody here has ever heard. People think that the best farts can only come out of a man's butt. I'm gonna prove them wrong. It's amazing! South Park The Fractured Butthole is about to be released. And we're striving to make this the most authentic experience possible. In which you, you can play the hero, these amazing fart powers. But we're still looking for that ultimate universal fart sound. That's why we decided to involve you, the fans, in our quest for that perfect fart. Judging fart contests, it's just a great honor for me. Look at this guy. His hair is just like a toilet brush. It's amazing. Sorry, that was weak. Come on. What do you need? No, listen, see? It's amazing! Oh, Ooh. That was not amazing. You don't come on national TV and bring something like that. Thank you for coming in. The best fart will live forever in our game. I'm Kevin Callahan. I'm from Chicago. Please go ahead. It's for you, Mom. 
Become the official fart of South Park's The Fractured But Whole video game? Make your own fart video on IamTheFart.com. Great trailer, Matt. Amazing, Shane. Let's get on with the QA. Word. <laughs> it's not going to make a lot of sense in the archives, but whatever. Um, here's one from Kirill Neko. Why are you so much against portability of games? Um, not against it so much as I just don't think it's a particularly useful feature if you're going to gimp the rest of the game in exchange for it. Like, I don't care. Like, well, I get there are people who, who do care, but portability will never be a reason I buy anything. Well, maybe the better question is, why does this person care? Right. I mean, I mean it goes they both could ways. well they could answer their own question if they looked at why they care and chances are they probably care because they use public transit. They take a bus, they take a train to work or whatever. They live they live in a house where There's they, one TV. they don't have control over the TV all the time. Right. Uh, they want to be able to listen to it or play it in their room instead of in front of everybody in the family. Like right. whatever. You know, there's reasons for it. I get right. it. That's, none of those reasons apply to me. Right. So, so them asking you why you don't care, it means that the facets of your life that make you love portable gaming are not a part of his. Right. Yeah. And I don't travel that much either, but sometimes I do play the Switch in portable mode on the couch because... Playing games will scare my wife away sometimes, and she'll like go to like the bedroom and watch TV in there. And sometimes I want to hang out with her. So I found that the Switch is a nice middle ground because we can put something on the TV that she will stay engaged with. I can still play games a little bit while not being completely consumed by it, and she won't run away to the back bedroom. So I'm kind of in the middle. I don't really use public transit. Um, I don't fly as much as I used to. I also used to use portable stuff when I flew a lot, when I was traveling for game events all the time. I don't do that that much anymore. Uh, so yeah, the portable aspect for Switch isn't a big seller for me, but I'm glad that it's there. J. Reed Vic 7 asks, do consumers have to accept microtransactions as a reality for not willing to be, ex to, not willing to be accepting of higher prices like every other industry on Earth? Is the media criticism of Forza 2K hypocritical since they've had microtransactions for years with little to no mention or acknowledgement? Uh, for the first part, uh, I do believe we are going to have to accept Trade Federation control for the time being. Um, <laughs> this is just how the publishers of the AAA space have decided how they're going to make their money back uh, without raising the price of the games to 80 bucks, and that's how it's going to be. But if people didn't spend the money on the stuff, then they wouldn't but do they it. But people will always do that. I mean, that's, that's a pro you know, the mobile gaming proved that, and the, you know, the whales will always be there. Yeah. And if in here's in terms of hypocritical, I, I think it's I don't think it's hypocritical because. I think microtransactions are fine if I can ignore them functionally. Like yeah. if, something like Forza Six, where like car tokens are there, stuff like that is there, but I the game never gives me a reason to want. Or like Injustice Two and their loot boxes earlier this year, it would never have occurred to me to spend real money on those loot boxes because the game showers you with loot boxes. Right. When I stopped playing that game after playing daily for a few weeks, I had like thirty loot boxes I hadn't never opened yet yeah. because it's too many. Right. Like, it just took too long, <laughs> and like. Um, so I don't think it's hypocritical because like, I think it's when you're hitting something like, I think Battlefront 2 is going to be hit by that too. 
Uh, but like with Forza, it's like in 2K, all of a sudden you need to start considering these microtransaction experiences to progress in the game. Yeah. And like when you're gating the content you've already paid $60 or more for with these microtransactions, now you're in the Dark Lord's terrain. Uh, so I think the it's not hypocritical so much as there the the microtransaction integration might have gotten a little too bold this time around, and you're starting to see some backlash on that. And we'll see what happens with Shadow of War. I mean, like Shadow of War seems like it, you know, in for for being the game that has had the big loot box backlash, it seems so far, judging from reviews outside of Polygon and maybe GameStop, GameSpot, that like. It's not really a factor as yeah. long as you're willing to play the game for a long time. Yeah, it seems to have slid by okay. Um, Super Court on Blue. Earlier, I believe, one of the producers on Overwatch mentioned he was thinking of ways to bring the game to Switch. If Nintendo can give us a good online feature set next year, what is the possibility that Overwatch will come to Switch, and do you think it will sell? Um, I think the possibility is extremely low. Low? Yes. Really? I don't. I think it's extremely high. I think that's ridiculous. I don't. I think that that is the perfect shooter for a Nintendo console. I think Blizzard could not care less. I don't know about that. Nintendo. It's going to depend on the on the infrastructure that Nintendo puts in place. Uh, but, but that was a caveat. He said like, if Nintendo right. gets it in order. I don't think so. I don't think Blizzard cares to dip their foot in that pool. I think. Well, I guess I have a caveat. If the Switch continues to sell at the rate it's selling right now, I think it absolutely will come out for Switch next year. And like you said, if it gets its online in order. And the infrastructure is there, and loot boxes will work, like Matt mentioned mm-hmm. on uh, Nintendo consoles. I, to me, I mean that's the thing is like Overwatch you, you is th- a perfect medium for Nintendo. It needs a shooter. See, I don't really agree with that. But really, I wouldn't want to play Overwatch with that controls. No, that's not what I was talking about though. I'm talking about aesthetically for a Nintendo platform. It's all the younger kids will have a, a real shooter to play competitively against others. The cartoony mm-hmm. aesthetic. I mean, to me. Overwatch is the first person shooter that Nintendo should have made. That <laughs> Blizzard beat Nintendo to the punch on that game. Like that is, should be Nintendo's game. It's not. It's Blizzard's. It appeals to all demographics. I think its ESRB rating is like E10. Um, I think it is the perfect fit for Nintendo consoles. And I think Blizzard would be, provided it's continues selling the way it is. I think Blizzard would be idiotic to not create a Switch version of this game. It's just leaving another 10 million sales on the on the table. I mean, you got to think about it. Everybody has Overwatch now. Blizzard is going to slide into this place. Remember, Nintendo's got to want it. I think Nintendo would love to have Overwatch. I don't think they would. Really? I think Nintendo thinks Splatoon 2 fills the niche that Overwatch uh, does. I, th- I don't think so. I think I even do. Nintendo... I mean, I don't, I'm, not saying, I, I'm not saying I personally disagree with you. I'm saying I think Nintendo is going to say, we have Splatoon 2, we don't need Overwatch. I don't know. Would that be dumb? Yes. Yeah. My Overwatch is too big, seen. though, man. I, even Nintendo, with the, and you're right. Nintendo does petty stuff like that all yeah. the time. But I think even Nintendo has to see this game as just a phenomenon. Blizzard is going to hit this spot where no one's actually buying the game at $60 anymore, and they're only living on the microtransactions, which, look, the audience there is huge enough for them to make oodles of money doing that. But that's just a perfect time for the transition over to Switch where they can sell that game for 60 bucks again and reach this whole new audience of people. Mm, I, th- I think you're pie in the sky in it too much. I think, I think the realities of business are going to... I think I wouldn't surprise me if that deal... The, if, the, if the meetings began, but I feel at a certain point, if you're Blizzard, you're like, is it worth dealing with Nintendo 
to, to get this to happen, and in the end it may not be. I don't know how open Nintendo is to this stuff. The one thing that gives me hope on that is how clearly how directly involved with Bethesda Nintendo has become. Yeah. Um, so if they can if they can navigate Bethesda and not alienate them, maybe they can do that with Blizzard too. But remember, Blizzard is a whole different beast, oh, and, yeah. and that puts you in bed For with sure. Activision. Um, it's it, it'd be a pretty big get if they were able to if Nintendo was able to get Overwatch on that system. But I I don't know. I I. Uh, my instinct is that Blizzard doesn't care. I think the other part of it, too, is that Switch is plenty powerful enough to run that game and have it look good. Mm, I don't know. I, it's pretty low-poly, that game. I it's a really smart if, art style. If you line up all the ways to play Overwatch, playing on the Switch is dead last to me. Like, why would I want to play it on that? Like, it's all online, so playing it portable doesn't really get me anywhere. Uh, it's going to look worse. It's going to control worse because I hate playing Joy-Con stuff with first person. Like that's that doesn't. I mean, I don't. I don't care. Uh, Pro controller is fine, but like that. Would, so like, why would I choose that? Only well, because of portability. The only reason I choose that is from portability, and like that's just not where I'd want to play a competitive shooter. No, I hear you, but I think a lot of people would love to have a portable Overwatch. I think a loud <laughs> core group of Switch owners would, but that's not as many people as we might think they are. Well, by this time next year, it could be. That was my point. Is if it mm. can, continues to sell at the rate it's at a year from now, the audience will be there. Yeah, but we'll the, see. But, but also, the more you sell, the more you're selling to people who have other game platforms and. They already own Overwatch. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't think that makes a lot of sense unless you are someone who only has a Switch. And if you're interested in competitive shooters, I'm pretty sure you have more than just a Switch. Um, Justin Horman, if you could do anything, what would you do to help lower the cost of developing games? Would you do anything? Um, I don't know. I guess I'd develop them the way uh, Ninja Theory did Hellblade. Yeah, I get. I mean, that's certainly that's a model to look into if I were running a high-level developer. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, the publishers have already got the cost down about as low as they can because I would never for what they're making. Yeah, yeah, I would just never advocate saying cut salaries. Right. Or I mean, look, pay the programmers less, or the, play the, pay the artists less, or pay the voice actors. Yeah, there's not less. much. I, I mean, the, well, the that. solution is raise the price of video games. That's it. Games should cost eighty bucks at this point or yeah. more. Nobody but, wants to hear that. Nobody but. wants to hear it because, look, if you, <laughs> I mean, it's, the games are the, have not risen in price since that, you know, since the, was it PlayStation 3? Yeah. Was that play, the, the it went 360, to 60 bucks. Yeah, yeah, it went to 60 bucks. If you go back to, like, when we were teenagers buying games, you know, Chrono Trigger came out, it was seventy nine ninety nine. You work that out now, it works out to something like 120 bucks in today's money. Yeah. Like, and we're we, lucky. Yeah, I mean, the, we're lucky the, that they haven't gone up. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous that they cost as little as they do. I mean, there were N sixty four cartridges that cost sixty dollars. Yeah, at I, retail. Day one, Fantasy Fantasy Star four, I paid ninety nine ninety nine suggested yeah. retail price on the Genesis, and that works out today to something like one hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, you guys got to figure out what you want. Do you want sixty dollar games with some goofy microtransactions and loot boxes, or do you mm -hmm. want to pay eighty bucks for a game? I mean, that's now, really I, what I it comes we're, down to. I think we're just in. I think we're just in a time of growing pains where the industry and the publishers have to have to they're going to make some mistakes you're going to make some bad mistakes i think they're going to have to you know do they're going to take it too far a few times they're going to learn what we'll put up with and what we won't put up with and eventually some kind of equilibrium will be found but in the meantime you're i mean this the worst the bad part there is is it's going to ruin a couple of games that should have been better than they are because they're going to have loot boxes shot through them and i think force of seven is already an example of that 2k 18 as well it, you know, and I, I, I have a personal evidenceless theory that the game that's going to be kind of the, the, you know, 
the D-Day of loot boxes one way or the other is going to be Borderlands 3. Borderlands 3, I think, is going to make... <laughs> That'll be the break. I think the bow breaks. <laughs> I think Borderlands 3 is going to make some really bad choice about how loot boxes work in it, and there's going to be a giant backlash like there tends to be, and that will change how publishers approach loot boxes, and there will be a little more care taken to how they're integrated into the game. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, I think Borderlands 3 is going to be that game. And we don't, it's not even announced yet. We don't even know if it exists. But I'm pretty sure if it, it does exist, that's where the loot box, is, the temptation is going to get too much. And 2K is going to do something weird there. Uh, one from Arakara No. Have either of you watched Blade Runner 2049 yet? If so, mind blown? Um, go see it. You've seen say. it? Mm, no. You're lying. I just, I'm not going to talk about it until <laughs> next week. Okay. But I, I'd recommend seeing it. Go see it on the big screen. There's something going on here. <laughs> uh, but I tra my, trust Matt's opinion on movies, so you should probably go see it. I have not. I have uh, I have not had time to go to see any I haven't went to a movie in I don't know how long. Try to get to this one before someone spoils it for okay. you. Okay. Oh, so it's a movie that could be spoiled badly. Uh, there's some real interesting stuff in that movie. Okay. All right, let's see if we can find one more question here before we go... Remember, guys, every week, if you go at Sifted Games, it makes it much easier for us to uh, find your questions amidst all the chat. Um, all right, here I'll answer the last one. It's the Nuts and Bulls question about Sifted. Uh, from Gohan Rage, how many people have volunteered for curation? Some have wondered how curation works. Is there anything you can tell us for some who are on the fence? Well, let's see. Overall, I guess about... 12 or 15 people applied for curation. Um, we asked for writing samples for the first cut. Uh, out of those 15, we ended up with about eight that we thought wrote well enough to, uh, to handle the job. And as of last night, they were all trained. So that's something I've been doing all week is getting this all going. Uh, they were all trained last night, and they started working last night slash today. Um... So we still have two that uh, have not gone through the whole process of getting signed up and have started curating it. But so, but right now, I think we have five or six guys who are, who are doing it. So uh, they started last night. They've been doing it. They were doing it this morning. I don't know if they've been doing it while I've been doing the show, but I'm assuming that they have. Uh, they've been doing a pretty good job so far. Watch uh, your apostrophes, people. Yeah. <laughs> the grammar and the spelling issues there. Yeah. It'll get there. I can still tell which ones aren't you. Yeah. Um, but it'll get there. And it may be that way for a while, but stay patient with these guys. Uh, they have. They definitely have the tone. Yeah. It's funny yeah. because I can see them trying to imitate yeah. how I write blurbs, which is fine, but eventually I think they'll find their own style as well. Uh, but I'm impressed with what they've done so far, and I will say it was nice to wake up on a Friday morning and get ready for game face and not have to rush and try to get stuff curated into the site because people had gone in who were in Europe or wherever and done a lot of it already. So already I can see a change in how it's going to change things for me and ultimately how it's going to change things for you guys where content is concerned. So, so far, so good. They're doing a good job. Really impressed with them so far. Now it's time for a message from our sponsor. Your games deserve more. There's so many stores and sites that will charge you 10, maybe 15% or more for the privilege of selling a used video game. We charge zero. Extraturns.com is a brand new marketplace being built from the ground up so you can sell your games, collectibles, electronics, and memorabilia. 
Not only will we beat our competitors' commission in every category important to you, but we will also make exchanging your used games commission-free. You get 100% of the value of your collection. Sign up for the pre-launch and share us on social media to be entered to win an SNES Classic this holiday season. ExtraTurns.com Go support our sponsor, everybody. Go sign up for Extra Turns. Get ready to uh, screw eBay. <laughs> I freaking hate eBay. So I'm glad there's something popping up that uh, hopefully can become successful so I don't have to work with it anymore. So thanks once again for our sponsor, ExtraTurns.com. And that's it. That's a wrap for episode 105. Sam will be back next week, so the live stream will be a lot better. Also, I should probably mention the archive of this show is going to go up a little later because all this stuff that Sam normally does live now has to be done in post. So it's going to take a while. I'm guessing the show probably won't be archived until early tomorrow. It'll probably have to render overnight tonight. Mm -hmm. So if you guys came in late, didn't get to watch the whole episode, you'll probably have to wait till early tomorrow morning before you get to check it out. Uh, another thing I should mention before I go, get those questions in for Pactor Factor. We are shooting Pactor Factor on Monday, Monday morning. So you have all weekend to get your questions in. Uh, there's a place to submit questions on our Patreon. There's also a thread on Sifted's message boards. Choose whichever one you want. It won't affect whether you get your question in or not. All that matters is whether your question is good. So hit us up with those. But that's it. Yep. That's all for episode 105 on behalf hopefully, of Matt. Hopefully you didn't mind the uh, lo-fi edition here. Yeah. But I thought that was better than not doing it. No, I think in, in hindsight, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a big this. week for, for the site. Yeah. And you guys got to see kind of what happens behind the scenes whenever we don't have the magician Sam here right. kind of working his magic. And now you know why we pay Sam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sam, very worth the money. It's definitely worth the money. So that's it for us. Everyone have a great weekend. Game Face is up and out.